This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday to you and happy uh, Inauguration Day. The 45th President of the United States, Donald Trump, will be... uh, Inaugurated at noon, I believe Donald around Trump will take the oath of office around noon Eastern time. Um, crazy boy! It is a it's just a crazy day. In fact, if you if you look at the headline on CNN, it says breaking news: Donald Trump attends church service. And then, if you keep reading, uh, kicking off the day, he's uh, you know this is the first event he's going to. Church service. I saw his interview with the uh, his spiritual leader. Oh, really? She's a televangelist. Okay. Some call her a charlatan. Oh, but wow! I think her name is Charlotte. The, inter- Charlotte. the interview was, was on NBC, I think, and they just some call you a charlatan. What do you say to that? Wow! You're like, whoa! <laughs> this is um, he's he's attending church service, and uh, apparently the pastor delivering the sermon is. Kind of a he, he supported him through the through his uh, candidacy. He's yeah. a Texas not, not uh, a mega church. Of, not a fan of Mitt Romney in 2012. Doesn't like Mormons. Thinks they're a cult. Uh, yeah. Doesn't like the Muslims. Thinks that they've got other problems. And so right now Donald Trump is sitting in that sermon, okay. and, then, and then he'll leave. And apparently after this he goes to the White House for coffee with the president. Tea. And, oh, is it tea? It's tea. It's tea. I saw that like five places this morning, specifically tea. Tea. They'll be having oh, because I don't think he drinks coffee. I don't know. Uh, they'll be probably having, doesn't drink tea either. Yeah, probably gonna take a diet probably, coke. Yeah. Can I get a diet coke <laughs> and some Doritos, please? Um, anyway, no, big day for saying. the president. They, re- they replace the almonds in the office. With yeah, Doritos. President Obama liked almonds to snack on, and there and apparently President Elect Trump likes some Doritos. Do you think that adds to the complexion? Maybe. Have you had Doritos? They're amazing. They are amazing. I think they're one of America's greatest gifts to the world. After Donald Trump. (laughs) After Donald Trump. Do you think Donald Trump will get more comfortable with church? Um... I don't know. Because I'm going to bet not. Yesterday, they were talking. As I said, they were talking with a spiritual leader, and they showed a bunch of clips of him during the his campaign where people prayed with him. Yeah, right. And they would touch right, him. Right. They would stand around right. him, and he looked one uncomfortable. Yeah, two unsure of what to do. Well, everybody prays and, differently. Well, right, but still, it's like he looked like he was crawling out of his skin because they were touching yeah. him. It's well, like, yeah. don't touch yeah. me. <laughs> He's isn't he a germaphobe too? And yeah, he, so. He he's probably more of the then, you know, pray but don't touch the whole two Corinthians thing and yeah. It's like, I, I think it's everybody keeps waiting for the turn right. They keep waiting for when Donald turns into this incredible um, statesman. Statesman, yeah, the super president. Because even any statesman could go into probably any church and make it look like they're comfortable. Politicians can do that, but you you do a lot of prep work. Yeah. You find out what they're going to do. You right. But I think Donald wings it a lot more. Do you remember that scene in Meet the Parents when Ben Stiller, who is Jewish, prays at the <laughs> dinner table? Yeah. I kind of like that. Yeah, that was You good. are such you, a good God. You can yeah. see that it's not something that and, yeah. 
He's very <laughs> accustomed to. He's not at all. And we're watching it on CNN. I get to watch it in a rearview mirror because it's, it's okay. There, nothing's happening. Um, it's it's a big day. This is a big day. And did you did you see the celebration last night? Which one? There was multiple different the, types of celebrations. Um, there was one uh, two days ago in front of Mike Pence's house. No, not that celebration. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I'm talking about the in front of the Kennedy Center. Oh. I mean, in front of uh, the – I keep saying the Kennedy Center. The concert in front of the Lincoln Memorial. In front of the Lincoln Memorial. Memorial. Yeah. I mean, what an, in, what an incredible view. And in, in fact, the CNN people were all talking about the fireworks. Like, hey, yeah. we, don't, we don't normally say this, but those fireworks were incredible. Yeah. I think they were having a hard time finding stuff to talk about. Well, but I, read, it, I read a review where they were waiting for Toby Keith. OK, yeah. For 15 minutes. Oh, really? And the person kept talking about Toby Keith. Oh, and then, wow. and then the person said that they were reading through the rest of the itinerary of the concert, and each person they mentioned they asked they said the name in the form of a question because they weren't sure if this is how you say the name or oh, really? who this person was. But yeah, that's I mean, it was it was I, it seemed like a, a strong attempt to try to be at times unifying yeah. America. Other times, not so much. Other times was is it John Voight? Who's the yeah. He got up there and like you should all you know yeah. he just kind of berated it America went for not sideways him. right yeah. at the beginning there, but I think they brought it back at the end. Yeah. Uh, there was a point where Trump talked about he didn't know if they'd ever had this type of a crowd in front of the Lincoln Memorial for oh, a concert. No, and it's like Clinton, no. George W. and Obama all had concerts there. Well, no, but he you said know, so. he said something that was unbelievable. He says we've started a movement. This is an incredible movement. I don't think there has ever been a movement. This powerful yeah. ever created, or something like that, and he's standing in the very spot that the civil rights movement yeah. began. Oops. Ugh. Speaking of crowds, Ugh. are those seats going to start filling up? Yeah. Well, there. You think so? It's an hour and a half out, right? Okay. And they're having security backup because I think there. Were, I was hearing on the way in there was one security entrance open. Yeah. They're supposed to be like five, but for yeah. some reason they're funneling everyone through one way. Is, There's a huge walk-up crowd for the way back. Is TSA doing it? Probably. Are they frisking everybody? They're checking shoes yeah. and belts. And You're going to have to check that bag, ma'am. Hey, pour your water out, please. Um, plus, it's it's the little light rain, it looks yeah. like, which, you know, Donald's thinking it's going to get sunny. So maybe. it's yeah. He's got about an hour and 40 minutes or so. See what happens. We'll talk about all that fun. Plus, also, we'll be getting to... Um, this idea of federal uh, putting some limits on federal power, a lot of a lot of people, conservative states especially, complain a lot about too much power from D.C., too much federal power that's then pushed down. And so, is now the time that they might create some legislation to limit federal power? You you kind of have you have Congress, you have Senate, you have the presidency. Soon you'll have a lot of Supreme Court justices maybe loading up. So is this the time? Uh, that's, that's what we'll be talking about with our first guest. So we'll get to all that fun, plus just a review of everything Trump and uh, all that excitement. But let's get to uh, Terry South on the headlines. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? The Donald Trump official inaugural ceremony begins at 1130 Eastern. He is expected to take the oath of office around noon. Chief Justice John Roberts of the Supreme Court, who will... Administer the oath. Mike Pence, vice president-elect, will take the oath shortly before Mr. Trump, which I found odd. Why would he go first? Yeah, I didn't know that. 
just the way they do it. Donald Trump will receive a 20-plane flyover when he's inaugurated as the 45th president of the United States today. The Pentagon told the Huffington Post a source involved in the planning of the event told the website that the Trump team suggested using tanks and missile launchers in the parade. Uh, Red Square, North Korea style. The military reportedly rejected the request because the tanks would destroy the roads. And because the optics of such an event would be unfavorable, if you could imagine that. Yeah. On Wednesday, Trump told the Washington Post that he wants to be a greater a greater cheerleader for the country by holding military parades down Pennsylvania Avenue. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Former Texas Governor Rick Perry, uh, Donald Trump's nominee for the head of the Energy Department, said that he regrets having previously proposed elimination of the department. Yeah, my uh, bad. My in bad. His confirmation hearing. Uh, just to give you some perspective on the outgoing secretary versus Rick Perry, the outgoing secretary, Ernie Moniz, the f- he was a uh, the future nuclear science, uh, has been his lifelong yeah. obsession, right? He worked at a super collider at Stanford University, <laughs> right? So he, he's deep in yeah. the science. He knows how this it's works. It's like 80% and- of the budget of the Department of Energy is to protect the nuclear science. Right. So previous administrations had people in there that knew how this worked. The new nuclear science. You know what Rick Perry's background is? Uh, like education. Oh, Texas A&M uh-huh. cheerleader. He was a cheerleader. Baseball. His... Didn't he play baseball or some sport? Yeah, yeah. You know what he studied? What? Animal husbandry. Ooh. So. Wow. Uh, needless to say, in the confirmation hearing, he said he's going to hire good people. But he's been a governor of the right. biggest state. He can govern. And- it would, it would have been so great if during the hearings he said, I will be the best secretary of... Um, Energy. Uh, 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 okay, there's the education, and then uh, there's the... Uh, the yeah. third one. I'll be a great secretary of that. <laughs> Big news yesterday. Infamous drug lord Joaquin Guzman, otherwise oh, yeah. known as El Chapo, arrived in New York Thursday night after he was extradited from Mexico. Guzman will appear in federal court today in Brooklyn. Six separate indictments. He's accused of being connected to efforts to bring billions of dollars of drugs into the U.S. Authorities will close the Brooklyn Bridge while Guzman is being transported from a Manhattan jail to the court building. CNN reports that Mexican officials wanted to turn Guzman over just as the incoming president is taking the oath of office as kind of a welcoming Mm. present. Wow. Here's a drug lord. Don't build the wall. Here's a drug lord. Yeah. Isn't We're he doing the, our part. He's the guy that escaped in the laundry basket, right? Yes. That guy, he's got to be so bummed out. I know. Because he used to have a good life oh, in yeah. the other prisons. He lived like a king. Oh, boy. And finally on Tuesday, hundreds of thousands of Skittles were found spilled on a Wisconsin highway. Uh, the local sheriff there says the smell was unmistakable. We got a big whiff, he said. The Skittles covered hi- the hi- uh, the Skittles covered highway was a mystery until Wednesday afternoon when it was revealed that the candies were riding in the back of a flatbed truck on their way to be fed to cows when the rain caused the box holding them to fall apart. An ex-farmer says candies found not good enough for human consumption are often become, as he says, cheap carbs for cattle. There may be a silver lining to the spill. Highway crews say that the Skittles coating the highway may actually improve traction on the road after the last couple icy days. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's why cows taste so good. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had cow milk from oh, the, my goodness. the cows that eat Skittles? I think my they're called teeth, scattles. Scattles. My teeth have a rainbow color to them. <laughs> yeah, they do. Wow, that's good for the cow. Can you imagine? They're loving that. And one other note, someone took away Donald Trump's phone. He has a secure phone. So he still has his phone, but it's a secure model. It's different. People don't have his phone number. 
right? <sighs> it used to be that anyone who had it before would just call him up. And so, I think that's how Kanye got in there for that meeting. Oh, is that how? Is that, I think that's how hey, that worked. Up, man? But now they just can't call him. But he does have a tendency just to answer whenever it says. Uh, yeah, they say he just he'll answer the phone no matter what. Yeah, so it just says, he doesn't like he doesn't he doesn't look at his call at all, <laughs> which is amazing. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. And one thing you're getting with Donald Trump is a workaholic. Apparently, that's pretty cool. If you're if you're going to hire someone for a dollar to be your president, yes, absolutely, you would want the guy to work a lot, <laughs> get the, as much as you can out of him at the expense of his family, though. For instance, well, that's another question. Where's Barron? He's around. You'll well, see him. No, apparently you're not seeing him. He's he not wasn't be there, there last night. Oh well, I was more of an adult situation. Uh, kind of. It, it was a donor party, and he's not at church with him this morning. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe he's off in the the last night the children's church area. Last night, I think Ivanka's kids were there. Oh, okay. Well. But Barron is kind of missing. And it's so, kind of weird. He's like the weird uncle. It's creating a <laughs> it's creating a little question. Um, also. Uh, Melania is yeah. her. Everyone's talking about her dress. She yes. looks like Jackie O. They're all saying, Dresses. "I love it." Yeah, fashion. And Donald is midway through a one hour, a little longer than a one hour church service. Yep. And Bruce. if he's going to confession, longer than might that. be a little longer than that. <laughs> and then he goes to tea with the Obamas. How do you think that'll go? I think it'll be. I think it'll be great. Yeah. I think the Obamas are probably sad but excited to start their life. It doesn't seem like Mrs. Obama always loved being in the White House. No. There's a there's a hassle that goes with the job. Now, by the way, they only live about two minutes away from the White House. Daughter's still in the school district. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's, I mean, in a way, you're not going very far. What happens no. when two motorcades right. collide and traffic gets stopped and now we got to wait? Have Sounds ever, like a math problem. Have, yeah. How Could long be. would it take the Obamas to get to the White House tea? Um, have you ever been to Washington, D.C. when a presidential motorcade comes through? Yes. Cray cray. I was standing at the Washington Monument, and then all of a sudden you start seeing this commotion and chaos yeah. and sirens, and you're like, and then somebody said, oh, it's a presidential motorcade. And, and like Secret Service jumps out of the cars, and oh, yeah. they'll move your car for you. Mm-hmm. They will like literally reach in your car. And move you. Sorry, I wasn't pointing to the TV. I was trying to tell you that I was downtown in Salt Lake when President George W. visited. Did were were you and you saw him drive by a hundred miles an hour? Well, not that fast. (sighs) Be glad you don't live in the D.C. area because this has got to be crazy today. Um, Well, it is. It's this is this is real, folks. And how do you feel about it? Are you handling it? Um, do you still have faith and hope in a future for the country? It really is. It's There's something powerful about it. And I again, everyone keeps hoping that they'll see some turn in Donald Trump. Some statesman-like mantle might come upon him. And maybe it takes, you know, finding out all the secrets that he's going to find out. He might already think he knows a lot, but I think when you hand him somebody the nuclear codes, it might change the game a little bit. When he goes to his first funeral for somebody that he, you know, led or put into harm's way, that's probably where it changes you. Um, we'll get to all that fun. Oh. Hold it. Slim Whitman? Yeah. What's this about? Well, 
This is the other huge breaking news story of the day. Yes. Today is Slim Whitman's birthday. <gasps> no. What a great... I'd rather listen to more Slim Whitman music. So what do you think? In honor of Slim, should we play this song going in and out of every segment for the show? I think we should. How could it hurt? <laughs> it is Slim Whitman's birthday. Oh, listen to that voice. Not, by the way, going to overshadow the, the big inauguration, though. Sorry, Slim. I think Donald Trump's going to use this song to uh, to fight terrorists. Oh, <laughs> to fight Just terrorists like from another planet. Tim Burton used it to kill aliens in yeah. Mars Attacks. Yeah, well... Oh, well. Happy birthday, Slim Whitman. We will take a break. When we come back, we're talking about constitutional limits on federal power. Is now the time to tighten up control on the federal government? Stick with us. Interesting discussion up next. And I hear your answering echo. Today, the federal government will experience a transition of power as President-elect Donald Trump is sworn into office as the new president of the United States. A Republican-ran Senate and White House is certainly causing worry amongst many minority, academic, and news media organizations. This unique situation has brought up an interesting question. Should we add enforceable constitutional limits on federal power? Here to speak with us today is uh, Ilya Soman, a professor of law at George Mason University. He's been on the show before, and we appreciate him being with us. Ilya, thank you so much for, for your time. Thank you very much for having me. This, um, this is a big deal. I, I hear all the time, and we talk about it on the show, a lot of the states pushing up against the federal government think there's too much control from the federal government to push down and force the, gov- the states to do everything that the government wants. Um, so you, you wrote an article that was, that's basically asking the question, is do we need enforceable constitutional limits on federal power? Is, is that – is it really a problem, Elia? And tell us why it is or it isn't. I think it's a problem for a couple of reasons. One is that the current scope of federal power has grown way beyond what the text and original meaning of the Constitution allows. So there's a legal problem here. But there's also a very practical problem, which is that we're a diverse nation with over 300 million people. And we're also a very divided nation with a great deal of political polarization more than uh, we've had for a long time now. And therefore, it's dangerous and often impractical for us to be ruled with one-size-fits-all solutions imposed by whatever party happens to have control in Washington, D.C. That kind of situation both often leads to a lot of harmful policies, and it exacerbates the deep political polarization that we already have, because whenever one party takes over the massive power that has now been concentrated in Washington, the supporters of the other party have legitimate reason for fear. Mm. You saw that in the last election, where I think the supporters of both sides uh, really were scared about the possibility of the other side winning. Yeah. Uh, that's more true this year, even than 
previous elections, but uh, it's a recurring pattern. And, and you could see it even just if you look in the political maps where Donald Trump won, where Hillary Clinton won. There's, there's, it's mainly a red map with a lot of blue pockets, right? And so I guess that's the point is um, – because you could pass a federal law or it could be, you know, changed and adjudicated in the Supreme Court and then federally compelled down upon the states. Um, is it so you're suggesting that maybe what ought to happen then is you actually put in laws limiting the power of the federal government? So obviously the federal government could pass laws constraining its own powers, but I also think that the Supreme Court and other federal courts should do a, a better job of enforcing constitutional constraints on those laws and also on executive power. The court has, to some degree, increased that enforcement over the last 20 or 25 years in a so-called federalism revolution. So it certainly would be wrong to say that there are no limits that are enforced right now. Uh, but I think the courts could do a better job of that. And obviously also the president and Congress can do a better job of engaging in self-restraint, though in recent years self-restraint has been in short supply. And the president-elect, who's going to take over in a few hours, uh, he's not exactly known for his self-restraint. <laughs> I know, which is, it seems like that would put a lot of fear in, in the hearts of, of of a lot of people. Has it been historically, I guess not at least the last 20 years or so, have Democrats been benefiting more from federalism and Republicans less, and now there's a fear that Republicans will benefit more from federalism? Uh, so it's hard to say who's been benefiting more or less for much of the period since the 1930s when previous constitutional limits on federal power were greatly reduced. There's been a tendency of liberal Democrats to say we need very strong federal power. We need to impose things from the center and many conservative Republicans to say, well, no, we need better protection for the states. Over the last 15 to 20 years, as first under Bush and now uh, soon under Donald Trump, the Republicans have uh, gained more control at the federal level. Uh, some Democrats have begun to rethink this and say, wait, maybe liberal causes of various types could benefit from federalism and from tighter enforcement of it. Uh, it's still the case that in the federal courts, when judges decide on this, there's often a right versus left split there. But mm. that may begin to change a bit, particularly with some of the issues that are likely to arise in this next administration, like sanctuary cities, possibly uh, clashes between states which have legalized marijuana and the new likely attorney general, Jeff Sessions, who believes in cracking down on that. There are some other issues as well. So we may be seeing a situation where liberals, I always hope that they will uh, help us make federalism great again, uh, because they will realize that they, too, uh, have something to fear from an overly powerful federal government, particularly when the power is in the hands of someone like Donald Trump. Mm. Yeah, you make a great point in your article that if if everyone would work together, if the liberals and conservatives and libertarians would all work together you'd you'd be able to take it on but having it having it bifurcated and split um creates makes it a little harder yes yeah, so there is a strong tendency of the republicans to say well when the democrats are in power that's where we're in favor of federalism but when we're in power you know they shift uh and the democrats having the opposite pattern is the so-called phenomenon of 
fair weather federalism. Uh, <laughs> politicians are rarely consistent sticklers for principle in this area. But uh, if at least some conservatives, some liberals, some libertarians uh, are consistent and they work together with the fair weather federalists of the moment, then uh, with, between those groups there can be a coalition to help promote stronger enforcement of federalism, reduce the tremendous partisan hostility and polarization that we have, and also, I think, have better and more reasonable divisions of power between the federal and state governments, because it is the case that, as I mentioned earlier, that it just doesn't make sense in a lot of areas for us to have the same one-size-fits-all policy for a nation as large, complicated, and diverse as as we've become. Is Give us an example where... Um because it seems like states can oh, – how do I say it without sounding – it's in a way there's certain rights everyone should have, right? And um, so how could, a, how could certain states have a lesser right for a human being um, and that still be okay? Well, certainly there are going to be some basic constitutional rights, speech, religion – property rights and others that everyone should have. But there's a wide range of policies that I think you can make a strong argument shouldn't fall within that, uh, including a lot of issues related to health care, education, what kind of drugs should be legal, and many, many other things of this sort, uh, which can certainly be handled at the state or local level. And while I recognize that the federal government can in some cases play a useful role in protecting individual rights. We should also recognize that the federal government also has a long history of sometimes threatening individual freedom. Hmm. And when the federal government does that, it's actually worse than when states do it because it affects the entire nation uh, and there's no exit from it. Uh, If your state government has flawed policies, many people can and do vote with their feet for for a neighboring state. Uh, that has uh, a better approach, whereas if the federal government is oppressive or unjust or just adopts harmful policies in some way, your only option may be to flee the country entirely, which uh, is very costly and drastic. Interesting. Does does it matter, too? I mean, one of the things I remember uh, vividly over the last four years was the same-sex marriage initiatives and the courts changing that, um, but it, where some states had already accepted it um, and other states hadn't. Is this an example of federalism? To some extent it was in that if we had had a single unitary rule on same-sex marriage, uh, it is likely that same-sex marriage would have taken much, much longer to occur than it actually did if you had had to have the state of consent of Congress before any state could get same-sex marriage. Mm. Now, ultimately, of course, the Supreme Court adopted a national rule uh, saying that every state must recognize same-sex marriage, but it did so only after a long period of time when same-sex marriage had spread in individual states, and by the time it did so, there was a pretty large national majority uh, that supported same-sex marriage. So it's not a perfect clean example of federalism, but it is an example of a situation where for many years a vulnerable minority, in this case gays and lesbians, would actually have been worse off if there had been unified federal government control over marriage rights. Right. And again, too, you can see that uh, I mean, many people, that's where they felt that their state rights weren't being upheld because they did believe strongly one way or another. It's um, I guess th- this is 
and we'll take a break and come back and talk about it. But it almost seems like it, 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 it creates a little competition in the system, which might create some some pretty powerful, you know, opportunity for change and innovation. I know you've talked about that. We will come back and continue the discussion with Elias Soman. He is a uh, professor of law at George Mason University. Today, he's walking us through the the possibility of. Uh, some constitutional limits on federal power is now the time to to constitutionally stop and and prohibit fed, uh, an overreaching of the federal government. Interesting, interesting topic. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, President Obama is set to receive, I believe, President-elect Donald Trump and his family for tea as they are getting closer to the big inaugural event. We are talking about uh, what happens now. A lot of legislative initiatives will be taking place with a new president and a Senate and Congress all under the control of the GOP. And joining us is Elias Soman. He is a professor of law at George Mason University. His research focuses on constitutional law, property law, and the study of popular political participation and its implications for constitutional democracy. Elia, thank you again so much for being with us. Thank you very much for having me. This is um, – so we're talking federalism and and maybe it's time that we – that Congress creates some constitutional limits on federal power. Is it how, – how would they do that? Is that is that a new law? Is that a constitutional amendment? What would it take to, to rein back the federal government's power? Well, those limits already exist in the Constitution. The Constitution doesn't simply say the federal government can do whatever they want. Rather, they enumerate a list of federal powers, mostly in Article One of the Constitution. So the implication is that the federal government is not allowed to do things which fall outside the scope of that list. Unfortunately, over time, particularly since the 1930s, some of those powers have been interpreted much more broadly than is defensible. And as I mentioned in the first segment, the Supreme Court has begun to enforce some of those limits more aggressively over the last 20 to 25 years. But there is a lot more that can be done. Uh, To take one particularly obvious example, uh, the Supreme Court still interprets the federal government's power to regulate interstate commerce so broadly that uh, they said that that power even includes the authority to ban the possession of medical marijuana in California, which has never crossed state lines Hmm. and never even been sold in any market within California. So that doesn't strike me as (laughs) having any real connection to interstate commerce and so really should not be something that uh, the federal government should be allowed to regulate. Have you have you heard of Project One, uh, Article One Project? Sorry, Article One Project. Yeah, I think that's a slightly different thing. That's less about federalism than about the separation of powers between Congress and the president. It's a project launched by the Federalist Society, which, full disclosure, I, I've had a long time relationship where uh, they argue that 
the presidency has seized too much power from Congress. Mm. I think this is also an important issue, but it's not quite the same issue as the federal government intruding on the powers of the states. Okay. Is it? Uh, what about the idea? And maybe it's the same thing as Article One Project, where. You, you have departments like the Department of Energy. Inside the department, they make a lot of rules and, and I guess laws but uh, mandates on – so really they're passing laws but they're not Congress. Yeah. So as the power of the federal government has grown and it's regulated more and more areas, almost inevitably more power ends up in the hands of uh, bureaucrats and uh, officials rather than Congress because – it's simply not possible for Congress to see to all of the details of these many thousands or really tens of thousands of regulations. Uh, and so power ends up in the hands, some of it at least in the hands of regulators who have to make the decisions of how these very complicated and sweeping federal laws are going to apply. Mm. Does, it, does it in any way – it seems like minorities um, – you know, but but you, I guess you made the point that government hasn't always been great with minorities either. So, is it is there any downside to to kind of uh, minimizing the power of federalism and the federal government to to kind of make far reaching mandates? So I would never claim that federalism is a complete free lunch. There are probably some issues that can only be handled by the federal government because, for example, their effects are so sweeping and cut across so many state lines that they can only be handled by a centralized state. For example, it's unlikely that states can do much to solve global warming or that states can deal with the issues that arise from nuclear weapons. On the other hand, a great many of the things that Washington currently handles can be decentralized if you believe that, say, Switzerland or New Zealand or Denmark can have its own education policy, its own health care policy, its own law enforcement policy, then the same is surely true of the many American states, which are as large or in many cases much larger uh, than those countries are. Mm. Is, um, so what do you think is going to happen, Elia? Here we have about an hour or so away from a new president um, and – a president, really, that I'm not sure if anybody knows what he believes and and what he's willing to do or not do and what's – I mean, it's a really weird scenario. Where do you sense this will go over the next few months or years? Many things are possible. There is much more uncertainty with this president even than with most others. Uh, so it's possible that – he will do a great many harmful things, and I, I worry about that, as do many people on both the left and some on the right. Uh, but it's also possible, and I hope that this might happen, that the fear of this person being in power and the, some of the things that he might do might lead a wider range of people to unite and to uh, try to set limits on that power, such issues as sanctuary cities or marijuana or some others that might arise are natural situations where uh, liberals might recognize that there is value to promoting constitutional limits on federal power, to getting courts to try to enforce them more vigorously. And if liberals do that, 
hopefully at least some conservatives and uh, many libertarians would join them because uh, while some conservatives, like some liberals, certainly can shift their principles whenever it's convenient, there are other conservatives who have been advocating stronger limits on federal power for many years now. So if liberals say, hey, we want to join this cause, at least with respect to some issues, hopefully at least some conservatives would see beyond sort of the partisan blinders at the moment and uh, agree to support that. And if that does happen, and I don't know if it will, but if it does, uh, we will have less to fear from Donald Trump than we might otherwise. And we also have less to fear in the future uh, that goes beyond any one administration. Mm. You um, and you are you are a professor at the Antonin Scalia Law School. What uh, what happens when um, what happens when President elect Obama or President elect Trump, soon to be President Trump, puts up a new justice? Does does the courts and and his impact on the courts? How will that play with federalism? So it, a lot depends on who he actually puts up and whether they get confirmed. But many of the people on his famous list are people who have at least some significant commitment to enforcing federalism limits on uh, congressional and executive power. Uh, And so it might potentially be good for federalism if he does, in fact, choose from the list, which, of course, is not completely certain. Uh, In the short run, it may not greatly change the balance of power on the court with respect to that issue because the late Justice Scalia also, not in all cases, but in a good many, uh, voted for uh, enforcing limits on federal power. Uh, But if Trump does appoint someone in a similar mold, at least with respect to federalism issues, uh, it may be a good thing for this particular issue, even though Trump himself uh, is probably not at all an enthusiast for limits on his own power, but he might feel constrained to appoint someone from that list so as to uh, satisfy uh, other conservatives uh, who care more about these issues. Is, Is there anything we can do? just an average Joe citizen to to impact any of this? Uh, so obviously it's often very difficult for any one uh, person to make a difference, but one thing that people can start to do is to be aware of the need to set limits on power and also be aware of how poisonous the sort of partisan hatred that we have has become, uh, and that one way of trying to tamp it down is to try to consistently support constitutional limits on government power, both federalism-based limits and individual rights limits as well, uh, because if you do that consistently, even when your own party is in power, uh, then uh, over time we can all be better off than we would be otherwise. You, you uh, I know Trump mentioned personally of uh, the idea of term limits and promises, but again, I guess everything Trump proposed, there's still a, a reality on Capitol Hill of what could actually be accomplished. I think it's very unlikely that term limits will get passed because uh, term limits for Congress would require a constitutional amendment, uh, and that's a very steep hill to climb. You need two-thirds of both houses of Congress. And then you need ratification by three-quarters of the states. 
even if they did get passed, it wouldn't necessarily limit the scope of federal power that much. It would just mean that you would have a different set of congressmen and senators uh, replacing each other more often. Uh, what I think is more promising would be uh, to have stronger judicial enforcement of constitutional limits on government power, and also to have the kind of broader awareness that I mentioned earlier of the need to accept limits and the need to support them even when it's tempting to break them because uh, your own president of your own party might be in power or your party may control Congress. Mm, that's, always the, that's always the game. And the hard part about Congress is their ratings are so low that you wonder how much power they have anyway. I mean – so their ratings are indeed low. They're, they're, they're unpopular, but they do have an enormous amount of power because the courts have said that uh, they can regulate uh, almost every kind of activity that affects the economy. True. And also uh, in order to spend money, in order to impose taxes, in order to do many, many other things, uh, any president still needs congressional legislation. So even though these people are very little loved, they have a lot of power over us. Yeah. I know you live in Virginia. Are you going to any of the big uh, big Trump events tonight? Uh, no, I haven't gone <laughs> to uh, inauguration events in the past. And I Why start now? go this year that's, uh, because I'm not a big fan of this particular president. Yeah. No, I think I think that's going around. Um, and it's one of the one of the things, I, I guess, in the end, what's fun, I think, is having your brain, you know, attacking these ideas and looking at these ideas. It's. There is hope, I guess, in the fact that as much as it changes, it it doesn't seem to change. Well, we we will see to what extent it changes or not. I think uh, the president-elect poses a serious threat to many of our values on a number of fronts. On the other hand, there's a pretty wide range of people who oppose or at least fear and distrust him. Uh, And in the fact that there is that wide range, there is some hope that uh, people might be able to unite with some coalitions that might not have been possible before, and also that people who didn't previously realize the need for stronger constitutional constraints in the federal government, that uh, maybe some of them will see that light at least to a greater extent than they did before. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's interesting, too. Even his own cabinet members aren't on the same page with a lot of his positions and ideas. Elia, we appreciate you. Elia Soman, again, uh, is his name. He's been on the show before, and he is a professor of law at George Mason University, walking us through uh, the the federal power and uh, potential constitutional limits that, uh, that might benefit all of us, if we could just make it happen. We'll take a break, come back, do a little uh, inaugural update, give you the latest on President-elect Trump and what's going on next. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Well, like him or love him, Donald Trump is about an hour away from beginning his inaugural uh, ceremony. And in the end, he's going to be the president of the United States. In fact, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. Right now, President-elect Trump is at the White House with President Obama. Uh, Melania and President-elect Trump brought a, a present to the White House. They didn't know what to do with they it. Know. There was a big hug between everybody. It was good. I, you know what? The Obamas are just great humans. 
really. It was a bit awkward, though. But it was awkward. But you know what? They're just warm. They're trying to be as receptive as they can be. There's been a lot of bad-mouthing of President Obama over the years, and he's just gracious still. Do you think Joe Biden will be giving him a hug? Yeah. Really? Joe Biden will, yeah. Then a whisper in his ear, I'll You're, beat you in the parking lot. I could have beat you. I could have beat you, man. Remember the press association dinner where, I think it was his, was it the first, no, the second one, where President Obama got up and he had this whole section of his presentation just on Trump. Yeah. Who was sitting right there. Mm-hmm. And he just went after him. And it was funny. You can watch it on YouTube. But then a lot of people feel like maybe that moment created Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. And so I heard a, an interview with the president. Obama about that and they asked him he goes I don't know he goes that moment doesn't really stand out to me because I left that building to go sit in a room and watch people take out bin Laden right so he's like true yeah put that in context he goes that whole thing to everyone kind of blows that up into something big but I mean for he goes for me and I goes I'm not you know minimizing or whatever but it's I went into another another whole situation going on I was killing the biggest terrorist in the history of the world. He goes, it was a uh, interesting day. He said that day, man. But he goes, yeah. May, I don't. Who knows what yeah. motivated motivated Trump? But he goes, he goes. He he he, you, he didn't really talk about it a lot. But he's that birther stuff really oh irked him. He's like, yeah, Seriously, and that people, was pretty. That's as low as you can go. That yeah. you're you're just not a valid citizen. Which is when you, you get the illegitimate comments over the weekend. Yeah, and the people are like. Uh, and people are challenging Trump's presidency, and then uh, people are saying like, "No one ever challenged Obama's presidency," and everyone's like, "The birther thing are for four kidding? years? All, Come on, for like nine years? Well, yeah." yeah. Um, so it, it, right now, too, we've only got a second to talk about yep. it. There, they will as soon as they leave the White House. Game on. Five hours. The staff has to flip the house, take all of the Obama's possessions out, put all of Trump's possessions in, and decorate it how they want it. There's carpenters. that says here they've slept in cots overnight. The kitchen staff is not involved in the moving because they have to get all the food together. And even to the point here, it says the outgoing family's moving trucks, escorted by the Secret Service and officers of the U.S. Park Police, will pull into the west side of the South Portico, which is like the main entryway. The incoming president's moving trucks pull into the east side. So literally they're moving stuff out of one room and bringing them in another room. They have this whole plan. It's all mapped out. They start in one end of the house, move to the other. beds. They've got to get the bedrooms ready. Just so it's perfect. And while this is going on in past uh, inaugurations, Clinton, like President Clinton invited a whole people, yeah. a bunch of people back to the White House. Hey, it was everybody, raining. everybody come back. We'll take care of you. So the uh, White House had to get in to act and start yeah, so putting together it's dinner. chaos as that's going on, but this is how it's done. So. Man, alive. It is amazing, the, the massive size of this entire thing. And uh, meanwhile, Air Force One, Executive One helicopter sitting out in front of the Capitol building to take President Obama away. Marine One. I think, but I think they're now calling it Executive Oh, because he's not the president. One, yeah. Right, right, okay. Yeah, fun times, fun times. Again, scary for some and exciting for others, but no matter what, this is your government in action. Powerful. You see all those uh, red Make America Great hats again? Oh, I didn't see them. Oh, great. We'll take a break. We'll be back. Stick with us. Having fun with the inauguration. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's happening. Donald Trump and his wife Melania greeted by the Obamas at the White House ahead of Trump's inauguration. They're now having tea, apparently, and crumpets. Mm. Very British. I think they're called trumpets now. <laughs> trumpets. It's a big deal. Uh, people are filing in, ready for the big inaugural event. And uh, it looks like a light rain. A drizzle. A drizzle. Plenty and of ponchos to be seen. A lot of uh, people talking about what they're wearing. Donald Trump sporting a red tie, of course. He and always, didn't he always wear one? Well, last Not time he wore always, a blue tie. But, uh, was, he was take. He was relaxing. He's trying to spread his uh, yeah his wardrobe out. Uh, Melania Trump looking like Jackie O. They're saying in a blue. I don't know. I shouldn't be commenting on clothes. And the present that she gave to the Obamas matched her outfit. It totally did. And you wonder what it was. You know, I bet some Trump steaks. You got some Trump steaks for the Obamas? They can have dinner tonight. Now, there is a there is an area of caution. What? It's raining. Yeah. Trump's got to stand out there and, and give his, his address. Right. Don't go too long. We had the one president that went too long mm-hmm. and he died like True. a month in. Yeah. William Henry Harrison. Yeah. Plus, he can't do that. Plus, something could happen to his hair. I doubt it. You think it's built stronger than those cars? Play, I doubt. Play clip four. Tomorrow we have a speech, probably around 12 o'clock. It may rain, it may not rain. I don't care. doesn't matter. I mean, the truth is, if it really pours, that's okay, because people will realize it's my real hair, and that's okay. <laughs> Did he say that? There you go. It's all established. That's great. You got to laugh about it, right? I bet somebody's going to blame the rain on the Russians. The Russians had something to do oh, with it. They've been well, seeding they, the clouds. If they seeded the clouds. I mean, it's... 52 minutes away from um, the beginning of this party. And everyone's taking their seats. It's a big deal. You are. We'll get to that fun. Uh, in a few minutes, too, we'll have a BYU professor on talking to us about Google searches. What does your Google search actually reveal about you? Right? So if you search for a Ferrari, mm. does it actually mean you're likely to buy one? Or do you just need a picture to put on the wall? Right. He'll talk about it. Huh. A lot of what you do on Google, actually, by the way, they know, obviously, and it might be interesting for you to know. That's the thing. You, you think like you're just sitting at your computer and you're just looking, no problem. But there's so much you're sharing and so much that they know about you and then right. they mark it back to you. You'll start seeing pictures from websites that you've looked at for items you're shopping for appearing on everything that you're looking at. Oh, it's, it's a crazy, crazy uh, world we live in. Now they know everything about us. It's also um, as dignitaries start to just file into the Capitol – uh, John Boehner just arrived past uh, – what was he called? Past Speaker of the House. And he's, you know, he's struggling a bit because he sits here and looks at all this power. He's like, where was this power when I was here? Mm-hmm. A little frustrating for him. Hey, how much of Trump's 
speech do you think he himself wrote? Well, they're saying he wrote all of it. Traditionally, they, they write quite a bit and then somebody comes in and punches it up, makes it you know coherent. Because you put ideas down, this is what I want to talk about, and you get some ideas right. from other people. So. Could you imagine a Trump inauguration speech unfiltered that did not get put in front of somebody else? Just do a rally speech. You know, that's what everyone wants. That's what everyone likes to watch. So okay. Do that. So if we were betting people, would, we would probably bet that he's going to comment on the size of the crowd. There's Newt. The crowd is bigger than ever. Newt Gingrich arriving with his wife. Um, size anyway, of the crowd. Yeah. He'll talk about the size of the crowd. He'll talk about the movement. This is what he got into a little bit last night. He's created this movement. This is a movement. This is bigger than him. This is bigger than just one person or one party. This is a movement to make America great. Hey, I've got a great idea. What? During the speech, let's play inauguration bingo. <laughs> so just like you said, he'll, he'll mention the size of the crowd. Yeah. He'll mention how we're going to make America great again or keep it great. He'll say great a few times, many times. He'll say tremendous. Terrific. Terrific. Yeah. Beautiful. And sensual. You really hope <laughs> – I hope not because, yeah, this is supposed to be the slow and sensual – um, inauguration was yeah. the theme. This is the slow and sensual music. But you hope he turns it, right? You hope he can turn it and, and make it something that unifies America. So we'll get to all that fun in a minute. Uh, but first, let's go to the headlines, see if there's anything else we're missing around the country or around D.C. with Terry South. What's We've up, kind of Terry? made some jokes over the last couple of days because the Trump administration says they're going to get to work on Monday. Which should be day four instead of day one, like they've been saying. Right. Well, now new information out. President-elect Donald Trump, soon to be President Trump, reportedly plans to make a trip down to Langley, Virginia, home of the CIA, on Saturday, his first full day in office. A senior official told NBC News that Trump is planning to attend the swearing-in of CIA director nominee Mike Pompeo, an event, an event that hinges upon whether Pompeo's nomination is confirmed by the Senate today or not. So we'll see what happens. That's good. I mean, that's getting it done, fixing the problems. Well, Trump's visit could also be seen as a conciliatory gesture to the CIA after all the things he has said and questioning their capabilities and those kind of things over the last few weeks. Uh, But his government may not be in much of a position to implement much of what he wants to get done when it comes to day one, day four, or day ten. There are 650 positions in the federal government that require Senate confirmation. Oh, wow. Trump has named 30 Man, so far, but he did. He does and make only, a point. Only two are supposed to be confirmed by today. But he has one person in that is a backup player from the old administration that is a standby that will stand in yep. until he's probably the bureaucrat that runs it anyway. There is much work to be done. Yes, yes. absolutely. <laughs> President-elect uh, Donald Trump's transition team has prepared a drastic plan to cut the federal budget. Uh, the plan the plan changes reportedly aimed to shrink federal spending by $10.5 trillion over 10 years. Among the budget-slashing proposals are reducing funding for the commerce and energy departments, including eliminating certain programs altogether, imposing significant budget cuts for the departments of state, transportation, justice, privatizing the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, which distributes, uh, distributes uh, funding to nearly 1,500 locally owned public radio and TV stations, and eliminating the National Endowment for the Arts. Wow. And the endow- National Endowment for the Humanities, which distributes grants and in cultural institutions and humanity programs. 
So get rid of all that stuff. Uh, the budget proposal should be released within 45 days of Trump taking office. So that's about a trillion a year. Yeah, that's what they're saying. Sheesh. They're all, uh, on his last full day as president of the United States, Barack Obama on Thursday issued 330 sentence commutations for individuals convicted of drug offenses, the most issued on a single day in American history. The move brings Obama's total number of clemencies as president to 1,715, the most for any president. Criminal justice reform has been a top priority of the Obama administration, but it was unable to achieve such reforms legislatively. Hmm. So can you exercise your power of pardon? Yeah. And finally, the Oakland Raiders have officially filed their application to relocate to Las Vegas. The application will, will be reviewed in the next few weeks, will likely be voted on in March. 24 of the NFL's 32 owners must approve it. This is the second time in two years the Raiders have attempted to leave Oakland. The team applied to relocate to L.A. last year, but was beat out by then the St. Louis Rams, who are now the L.A. Rams. Well, okay, I'm confused. Because I thought professional athletes weren't allowed to gamble. Right. But they're sending mm-hmm. the Raiders to Vegas. To Vegas. What's the plan? And if, if you remember the NBA All-Star game a few years ago was in Vegas. It was complete chaos. Yeah, I mean, there so were, what do you just, just tell nuts. them not to go down near the strip? I, I guess. Or they're just becoming more comfortable with gambling. You, because you can't get you can't go into the airport in Vegas right. without <laughs> there's a slot, a slot machine. machine right and and most professional sports have been terrified of Vegas Atlantic City just because of the impropriety of yeah. throwing games and all that but eh, apparently they're becoming more comfortable with that wow okay. the, the NBA holds off season tournaments down there yeah baseball they'll come through every I mean once it's in great a while. it's warm it's a it's a cool town but. I'm not assuming there's a lot to do if you're not going to a casino. Right. Because every – No, you can take in the shows. But all the shows are in casinos. There's circus, circus. There's, you know. But they're all in casinos. <laughs> so how do you walk through and – As my wife said, there's the outlet stores. Yeah, that's like, it. seriously? That's it. Take your Hummer to the outlet store. Boy, wow, that's crazy. Okay, whatever. Hey, I'm not here to judge the NFL. They'll they'll be fine. They'll be fine. Well, they continue to file in, folks. It's happening. Whether you like it or, or not, we're just you're about forty five minutes away from the inaugural swearing in ceremony. And uh, soon, President uh, Obama and President Elect Trump and Mrs. Obama and Mrs. Trump will get in their limo and drive down Pennsylvania Avenue, make their way to the Capitol building. Then it gets going and. Uh, I mean, remember, Donald Trump is the oldest president, or oldest person ever to be sworn in for president at the age of 70. He's the oldest there has ever been. No other president ever. Wow. Now, for a second swearing in, yes. But for the first, none. Also, he's the, um, he's the only president never to have had an elective office or never to have had um, uh, military service. So he is the first president ever to to not have that political history or that military history. So he's breaking a lot of uh, a lot of rules here, folks, and a lot of records. And as we just heard from uh, Terry, apparently he's going to be changing the budget immediately, cutting the arts. That won't keep Hollywood very happy. Hey, remember how earlier I mentioned we should play inauguration bingo? Yeah. Well, there are actually several bingo cards that are out there. <laughs> so uh, the first one comes from Market Watch. These ones are just words 
that he'll that he'll yeah. be likely what, what to use. What are some of the words we should be looking for? So the biggest one, of course, make America great again. Yeah. Number two was Reagan. Uh huh. Number three, tremendous. <laughs> Number four, ISIS. Then China. Then Clinton. Huge. Yep. Folks. And then this one isn't as much uh, words. This um, this comes from uh, Vox magazine, but uh, this one is just funny stuff that he'll do. Like we've got on here, huge and <laughs> air quotes. Uh, yes, bigly. I know a lot about blank uh, promises to beat up ISIS at the bike racks. <laughs> Guitar solo. Wow. Accuses life itself of being rigged. See, he's he's got his little style, right? His little idiosyncrasies. And uh, by the way, the free space is a general disregard for facts. Anytime he just generally disregards facts, it's free space. Oop, President Clinton and Mrs. Clinton now arriving at the Capitol. That again, I think another pretty powerful sign. That the country can go on. I mean, nobody took a bigger beating from Trump than Hillary, right? And Bill. So, I don't know. This is uh, – our country is bigger than, than I think all of this. I guess the big issue is we just have to figure out a way to, to give them a chance, give them some time. And two, it sounds like the people around him are already – Correcting certain beliefs that he has, teaching him certain things that, you know, maybe aren't accurate that he's believed in and espoused. Um, we've got a lot of uh, other things. Is in, in fact, I guess we're going to do it uh, either later this hour. We're going to be talking about um, presidential movies. Yes, presidents in movies and the different kinds of presidents, really. Because we, we, if we could pick a president. You'd probably yes. pick a movie president. Right. And that's one of the categories is the ideal president because there's this there's this vision that we all have of, a, of what the president should be. And there are several actors that have portrayed that type of a president. We'll talk about like really tough presidents. Yeah. We'll talk about presidents doing illegal things or being caught in the act. And then we'll also talk about the doofuses. <laughs> kind of the dumb president that yes. doesn't know what's going on. Right. All right. We'll try to get that in this hour if we can, because if not, we'll, we always do movies in the last hour. But I do think it would be a fairly interesting discussion to to tear apart some of those, uh, you know, ideal presidents. So we'll get to all that fun. But let's take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking about Google and Google searches, what it actually reveals about you as a consumer, what your intentions are, what's really meant by uh, when you just enter in something into the Google search bar. Does, is it really revealing you? Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. When a person types Mercedes into uh, the Google search bar, does it mean that they are likely to buy one? Or does it simply mean they want to print off photos of a Mercedes and hang them on the wall? Marketers for Mercedes-Benz would love to know, as would marketers for really any brand. 
BYU professor Jeff Dotson also wanted to know. So he launched a study with Google and Drexel University to see if they could divulge more information about online intentions of consumers and how they can better cater to those intentions. Uh, Dr. Dotson is an associate professor of marketing at BYU. He's here with us this morning to talk to us about his research and what he has learned. Jeff, thanks for being with us. Yeah, happy, happy to be here. What? Uh, okay, because more and more people, we, I mean, people search Google all day, every day. It's just the it's the default now, right? You just go there, or I guess any search engine, but. Um, what are you learning? What's the big aha? Because you're a marketer. You're here to make money for people. Well, you're here to be a professor to study marketing. But others are like, they want to figure out what are people thinking when they enter in something. And and you're saying there's a lot of data behind all of that that makes – that really is even more important to know. Yeah. So it's an interesting question. And um, my area of expertise is actually marketing research. So I – I guess I help companies make money through yeah. roundabout ways, but um, firms are very concerned with understanding um, what their consumers think about their brands, how they feel about those brands, do they intend to buy those brands. And so for years and years and years, there's been a big um, kind of a, a cottage industry within marketing research where firms will conduct what are called brand tracking studies. And so these are huge survey um, Survey studies where they'll, they'll survey thousands of individuals on a quarterly or annual basis. Hmm. They'll ask them hundreds of questions about how they, how they think about the brand, what advertising have they been exposed to, et cetera, et cetera. And they try to use that as a measure of, of the health of the brand. So is the, are the activities the brand is doing, are they, are they leading to uh, better perceptions of the brand? Is it going to lead to better sales down, down the road? And, um, and so this, is, this costs companies you know, thousands oh, and hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. And so – and so with the advent of the internet and, and big data, all of a sudden we have, we have um, millions and millions of individuals. We all use Google. Um, um, and so when I search for things on Google, is that, is that maybe – could it possibly replace that information that we've been collecting huh. via survey research? And yeah. In marketing, we talk a lot about, um, about revealed preference and stated preference. And stated preference is, is you as a consumer tell me what you're interested in. That's useful information, but, but consumers sometimes lie about their intentions yeah. or misrepresent their intentions. And then reveal preference is something where you, you actually we, – we observe your preferences by virtue of watching you do something. By my activity. So you buy something. I know that you like the product if you bought the yeah. product. And, and so search is a, is a form of, of, of revealed preference. It's you doing something that's, that's related to your own internal motivations and not because a, a survey researcher has asked you a question. Yeah. And so we have all of this really interesting online information, searches and liking things and posting things and blogging about things. And the general belief in the marketing research community is that this has to be valuable for some reason. Oh, yeah. And if we can figure out what that is, we can start to build better products that, that maybe track brand intentions and brand beliefs and brand feelings um, in real time as opposed to on a quarterly or an annual basis. Well, I'm looking for a car. And so if I go Google a type of car and then you can find out what I Googled immediately after that or before that, you could see the three cars I'm choosing from. You could narrow in – Brands. I mean, there's a lot of data there, and the funny thing is, is Google owns it. They do. They 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 are the only group that owns it. That is crazy advantage. Yep. And so you're trying to figure out what it all really tells us. Well, so I've done past research where we we actually looked at uh, the relationship between um, a different form of search. Um, So not Google search, but um, search on like an Edmunds.com or a Uh Kelly Blue Book or something like that. So if I'm searching for a new BMW, for example, which I'm, I'm not searching for yeah, because I'm a no, BYU professor. You're a professor. So, so if I'm looking for like a like a um, Nissan Altima or new, something yeah, like that. New yeah, new Clorox bleach. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I, I go to one of these websites. At some point in time, I have to type in my, my zip code to get a quote on a car to learn about what the inventory is in a given region. And um, at that point, it creates a record that I've, I've expressed interest in that vehicle. And, hmm. and, and so in this past paper, we show that there's a strong correlation between the expression of interest in the vehicle and then sales of those vehicles in the same period. Yeah. And, and so we, we built up some technology around how would you use that from, from, a, from a forecasting and a now casting perspective to figure out how are sales performing, conditional and observing these searches. So, how many? Because, like Edmonds, for example, or Car and Driver, any of these, any of these places, they then can become data banks, right? Where they now can sell their data to car companies. Yes, yes, and they are, um, and and that's that's becoming a big business for a lot of these these websites. So it's not just the product they offer to a consumer. So it's not just giving you an idea of what your vehicle's worth. It's the data that's generated as a byproduct of having consumers interact with the website hmm. that becomes really valuable. Um, that's interesting because consumer reports, you know, it used to be you needed the information, so you'd have to pay to get the information. But now they might maybe give you the information to get you there to accumulate other data from you. Yeah, if they can, if they can monetize your interaction with the website in, in, in different ways, then they can offer free products to consumers. Draw you in. And, yeah. and the data is what really has, has value. Um, and there's a lot of promise in this, but we, we haven't I – don't, I don't think we've ne- necessarily even scratched the surface yet on what, what the value of this data really is. Well, and, and again, you did the study with Google and with Drexel University. What, are they, is Google open to letting you know what they know? Um, so Google was fantastic to work with. Um, Google is also um, exceedingly concerned about privacy. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, and so in this study, the, the goal was really to, to try to look at the individual level about what motivates search. And so if we can actually um, survey respondents, in this case we, we had you know 1,500 respondents or so, and we, we surveyed them um, uh, during the process of also observing um, their search for two categories, so for smartphones and for vehicles. And um, and by, by understanding kind of where they were in the purchase funnel, how they felt about different brands, we could start to correlate that with their, their search activity. Hmm. Um, Google, so you would serve up the survey to evaluate their searching as they were searching? So we, we, uh, we, we observed them for about eight weeks. Okay. And so about, about 24 weeks into, this, into the, the, the process of observing them, we, we, uh, we gave them the actual survey. So they, they Oh, you the, took it to their location and gave it well, to them? Well, we did it through the internet. Okay. So, but they, they, they had access to it. And it, was interesting. A, it was a fairly standard brand tracking study. And so we, we understood which, which products do they own, which products were they aware of, what, hmm. which products would they consider for their next purchase, were they in the market for making a purchase, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, um, and then we could, we could take that information and start to correlate it with, with, with their, their search behavior. Um, and so as I mentioned, Google is, um, was fantastic to work yeah. with, but they are very concerned about privacy. And oh, so yeah. we weren't given access to um, their full search records. Yeah, they're not like, here, just sit in this room. You can yeah. do whatever you want. In fact, we, we never my, – my co-author at Drexel and I, we, we never saw the data. So the data was, was, um, was retained in Google secure servers in Mountain View. We had, we had members of Google on our research team, and they were the ones that were actually doing the, the data analysis. So we would do a, a Google Hangout. Uh, with a programmer in, in, in Mountain View and, and, and Ellie at Drexel and myself. And How we would, cool. We would sort of talk through what, what analysis did we want to do. Yeah. Um, Jeffrey in, in uh, Mountain View would execute it and, and provide us with results. So um, that I, is... I have a lot of trust, a lot of respect for and trust yeah. um, uh, for Google after having gone through the project. Well, and because uh, in a way that's, that's really good news, right, that they're so protective of our information – and how they use us, and they also have they're sitting on a gold mine or a, probably more like a platinum mine. Yeah, they uh, they have a a factory basically yeah. that prints cash right through through uh, search advertising. But um, and people need it. Marketers need it. You you can't survive without uh, you know being able to market through Google. 
No, no. It's um, it's been great for, for for companies. It's great for the public. They offer a really fantastic service, um, and they're an interesting company because they're they're um, there have been a few companies throughout history where that have achieved um, uh, a lot of a lot of power, a lot of a lot of yeah. a lot of wealth, and 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 those companies have been willing to invest in really primitive research that that may lead to a product for them, but might not lead to a product. Right. Bell Labs was like this. Uh, General Motors was like this for a while, and, and and Google is like this now. They they're willing to invest a lot of money in um, into research that. You know, we don't know what the outcome is, right? So right. We've done the research now. Um, there's not a product that's emerged from this yet, but they, they have the option of being able to do that. What um, What were some of your key learnings? What come What came out of the research that made you think, huh? Uh, so the the big thing that I found interesting is that that search is motivated by a lot of different reasons, and um, and myself and and a number of my colleagues in in kind of academic marketing, we love to think that that search is is all about. We're looking at people toward the end of the purchase funnel or using Google as a way to find out where do I purchase a product. Yeah. And if that's the case, then then we should see a strong association between search and, and sales. We can use that as a um, as a predictive indicator, right. as, a, as a contemporaneous indicator. Um, but as it turns out, search is complicated. People search for a lot of different reasons. And some search because they, they're getting ready to buy the product. Others search because they own the product and they're trying to figure out how to use the product or they're having problems with the product and they're, they're trying to sort of troubleshoot mm. those things. And and so just just using raw counts of search and trying to correlate with those those with sales there's there's an association but it's we're missing the boat right right so, right um, and so from our perspective the takeaway is that there is an opportunity to be able to to dive a little bit deeper into the searches and try to contextualize those and find out not just what are they searching for but what what motivates that yeah um, and that's well, not information yeah. we had in our study but that's that's something that the Google certainly has access to because too I mean I guess. Like the example is you may just be searching for a Mercedes because you think they're pretty and that's a whole different – I mean a marketer, I guess – I mean I guess that's great but that may not – that may be an eight – you know, 10-year-old kid. Yeah, it could be. And what we found out there, there is a – there's a, a group of individuals that we um, – I forgot the term we, we use but but they're, they're, they're perpetually engaged in the category. They just love vehicles. Oh, right? they're – yeah. They're and just... they search for all vehicles and, and they're searching for vehicles just because they're, they're enthusiasts. They don't, yeah. they don't necessarily want to buy it or yeah. – um, there, there are people like that, and um, and I guess I guess you want them in your corner, but they're only going to buy a car once every five years or whatever. Yeah, whatever the cycle is. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's yeah. interesting. Oh wow, I didn't think of that. Um, so let's just do this. Let's take a break. We'll come back and continue the discussion about what what you what you reveal about yourself, but also what Google and all these marketing companies know and learn as you just are searching. You're just searching. Not a big deal. Interesting research from Jeff Dotson. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us is Jeff Dodson, Associate Professor of Marketing at BYU School of Business. He is a, a part of the Marketing and Global Supply Chain Department. His work has been published in the Journal of Interactive Marketing and Strategic Management Journal. He also just completed some research with Google and Drexel University about how you search the Internet. And it's it's opened up some pretty interesting um, – some pretty interesting insight, I think, because it's so you can't always correlate a search to a sell. I mean, it doesn't always equate to that, but 
certain people are searching for a car, certain are enthusiasts that just love cars. Um, certain people might be ready to buy the car, but they just want to make sure they get the right deal, get all the information they can. How do how do I, as a business owner, how do I set up my ads? How do I know what to pay for? How, how do I know what marketing's worth going after? Well, um, good good question. Um, I, I think uh, this research, I don't think, provides an answer to that necessarily until until we are able to contextualize the search and be able to say, you know, you're not just paying for um, – for an ad associated with Apple, you're paying for an ad associated with Apple when people are actually in the market. Yeah. You know, if you knew that information, it would change the way you structure your ads. There are ads that are, are designed to harvest demand. So I'm in the marketplace. I'm ready to buy. Right. I'm providing information about how to, how to engage the, in that transaction. Where do I go to buy the, per, the product? Maybe offering a discount to try to get you to switch from a competitive product to your product. Um, and there are ads that try to try to try to build demand. So there, there are ads that try to make you aware of the benefits of the product. And um, and certainly, if you understood what the motivation for the search was, you could build advertising that would be better catered to the stage in the, the purchase funnel that uh, yeah. where a consumer is. Yeah, because I've I've done that with my own clients where I um, I want. And it makes sense, actually, because no, I can get a group of people that I want to aggregate a strong database, take care of those people, and eventually convert them over time. But also, you sometimes just want the sell. Let's just make a sale today. Mm-hmm. Let's get a sale today. And I, I guess you have to write your text the appropriate way and set up your site to make the sale happen. I mean, there's a lot going on. What? Uh, where do you see um, this going, the research and your and your research going from here? So we, we continue to study search. Uh, we have a lot of interest in this area. Uh, the project with Google is, has reached its end. In fact, we, we wrote this paper um, probably a couple of years ago. Did that, you really? I don't know if you know the process of academic research, but it takes, it takes an amazingly yeah. long amount of time to, to go from completion of a paper and research to actual publication. And, um, and so our paper is appearing in the Journal of Interactive Marketing. I believe, I believe next month is when it, is it actually really? appears. But we, we finished the paper two years ago. Yeah, and, your and head's working, in a whole different place, we're, too. We're doing, we're doing different stuff right now. Um, but the, 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 the idea is still timely. The, the topic is still relevant, and it's something we, we intend to explore. Um, and I know Google is also actively exploring these, these areas. I mean, they, they sit on a, a wealth of data. Um, I think they, like most companies, are trying to figure out how do we use this data for, for either for business purposes or for social purposes yeah. or for whatever purposes they feel are important at a, at, at a given point in time. Is, is there anything we can do? I mean, I guess we don't need to fear Google knowing what we like or want, but is there anything we could do to to maximize our own um, searching and minimize the information we're giving? That's, a, that's also a good question. Um... So the way that those those algorithms work is that Google learns a lot through your search history. So um, and so and that's an that's an opt in feature or opt, an opt out feature, I guess. If you don't want Google to track what you've done historically, um, you can you can turn that feature off within your 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 Google search. Okay. Um, yeah. Your Google account. Um, um, but if you if you believe that the companies are using this to try to maybe try to make your life a little bit improve easier, improve your yeah. Um, sometimes you want to make sure that you're giving you're giving. The public access, or the, the, these companies' access to data that they can use to, to serve you up advertisements that are maybe a little bit more relevant. Or does that or, work in marketing? I mean, I assume because it's a hot lead. Yeah, you know, I searched basketballs, so and all of a sudden, every ad I've got on my site is a basketball. Yeah, and they, they they call this dynamic retargeting, and so I know you've done a search for something someplace, and and they're able to start to serve you ads for for 
for the same product or similar products yeah. um, as you as you navigate the web. It, it's uh, it's very effective. Um, it can be a little annoying at times if it's oh, if yeah. it's done incorrectly, but it's um, but it certainly is effective. Or like if your kid uses your computer, <laughs> the next thing you know, everything's a Pokemon. I was going to say I, I get a lot of ads for Pokemon, and it certainly isn't related to my search. So. <laughs> like what is going on? Where do you see the future of marketing going? I mean, it seems like. Once they've aggregated a file on me and they know who I am, and it's interesting too what you can go in and find out about yourself on Facebook. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Like you're, you really are very targeted. They know who you are, what you like. Is there a point that I just become a profile and then every company knows my profile and they just – I think you, are, you already are a profile on, on some I? level, and I think most companies do know about about you. They, they have more information than I think we uh, do. We need to worry about that. You know, I I, I don't worry about it. Um, uh, but there there certainly a lot, are a lot of privacy issues in different countries and different. Um, you know, they, they deal with this very differently in Europe than they do in in, in, in the United States right now. Yeah, uh, it's something for concern, but um, but I think most companies' intentions are are transparent. They yeah. they just want to sell more product. Um, and point of sale stuff, all of a sudden you will be running your credit card and on your receipts will print out specialized coupons that look like they know you. Right. And, and, it's um, brilliant. It is. And they've been doing that for, for yeah. a long time now. Um, yeah. I mean, any, anytime we know something about a consumer, we can, we can provide them an offer to a product that we think that they're going to like. It, it increases the conversion rate on, on whatever that offer is. That might be the way you can learn more about your family. Just <laughs> check their receipts. And look at what they're being offered. I mean, you might learn a lot about your spouse. Uh, you, you could. In fact, there, there's um, there's a story uh, of of Target that um, that was studying purchase behaviors and, and discovered um, that there was a, a woman that was that was uh, expecting. She was pregnant and started to send her coupons for Did she? Um, the family oh, not was wow. not aware. And this this led to a lawsuit. And so you have to be cautious with oh, how yeah. you use that information. Yeah, that's scary. Um, <laughs> your husband finds out you're pregnant because of Target. Because of advertisements you're getting, yeah. That is crazy. So, uh, Jeff, as we move forward, I, I guess um, it just seems like the more and more technology, the more they can accumulate, aggregate information, really it could be seen as a positive thing because it is simplifying your life. You don't need to you don't need to receive every mailer now, just the targeted ones. I think that is a benefit, and I think I think it enhances your experience as you as you navigate the web. That if you're if you're being shown things that are re- relevant to you, so I have I have a lot of interest in cooking, and so if I'm if I'm exposed to products that I'm not familiar with that that might enhance yeah. my life, that's that's not a bad thing. Um, I think there's a misperception about about advertising and, and marketing generally that that we're we're trying to sell yeah. ice cubes to, to and stuff we don't want. And the reality is that good marketing is all about building products and services that fit into people's lives in very specific ways and start to alleviate problems that they have and. Um, and if you extend that to advertising, advertising is about communicating the benefits of those products and, and you know, helping you on, on some level. And yeah. certainly the motivation from the company is to, is to sell their stuff and to make money. But, but we, we buy stuff because, because we, we, we need stuff to, to sort of transact daily life. And, um, um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. No, no. And again, and I think it's different because it's also you don't have to cram it down the throat anymore. I mean, smart marketing is – Targeted marketing and it just get in. It's efficient. It's better money. It's everything. It feels seamless. It feels natural. Yeah. It doesn't feel forced. And then we yeah. like you and the product, you know, versus maybe the the historic door to door salesman that made you buy something you didn't need. Yeah, and, and one one thing I love about um, about this kind of the advent of digital marketing is it's increasing accountability for marketers. And so historically, 
There's there's a, um, a a famous saying in marketing that I I know I'm wasting half of my advertising budget. I just don't know which, which half. half? <laughs> um, and so the, the the problem when we we can't account for the, the actions of of what we're doing in terms of advertising and how it influences the consumers is the default reaction is just to blast as much yeah. marketing out there Get to as many people as possible. And with accountability comes a need to be able to, to prove that what we're doing is is effective, and we can actually measure that now. And, yeah. And that's leading to, to more focused, more targeted marketing that's directed to the people who actually care about those advertisements. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to help us avoid being exposed to things that we, we just don't want to be don't exposed want. to. Because well, gonna... And it's, there's power. It seems like all of a sudden now too, there's more power in my hands to change my settings on my computer, my uh, search engines, also to change to get on do not call lists. I mean I have more power than I maybe did a few years ago. For sure. Well, Jeffrey, we appreciate you, my friend. Keep up the great work there at BYU School, uh, Marriott School of Business, and we'll have you back on your latest research in two years. Sounds great. (laughs) Thanks, Jeff. We'll take a break, my friends. We'll be back. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we uh, we are all over the inaugural procession, I guess they're calling it. He is President Trump, uh, President-elect Trump and President Obama just now leaving the White House, getting in their car. And uh, all the other dignitaries, in fact, they're, they're driving vice presidents uh, and president, vice president-elect driving together, the first lady and first lady-elect driving together. They're all in their own cars. For some reason, they don't. They don't want everyone. They could have saved gas and right. just taken a little shuttle. Carpool. Come on. Why Be an are example we not, to the country? I thought we were trying to take care of the environment, <laughs> but instead we have four, three beasts, four beasts apparently driving to the. Was that? Isn't that what they call the presidential car? The beast. Yes. And you've seen the doors. Oh, They're yeah. like five feet thick. Huge. You just wonder what the conversation is in that. Nice car. weather today, isn't it? It's wonderful. Too bad it's raining. Oh, and then like, hey, so you're going to ruin my entire legacy in one day? How about them patriots? <laughs> <laughs> you, so you're going to come back to the White House and just start signing all these things and ruin everything I've done for the last eight years? Is that what you're going to do, Donald? No. They're talking football. Yeah, I bet they are. I don't know what you would talk about. What do you say? I mean, really, honestly, they the presidents, it's a weird thing because they're in this weird fellowship of of really a horrible pressure cooker. <laughs> Yeah. Nobody is in that club. There's, f- what, five living men, four living men? Um, well, I mean, there was the discussion when uh, President Obama won his first term, and then he sat down with George W. Bush, and they talked, and they, later they, they talked about what that conversation was. And it was just about how ridiculously difficult the job is. Yeah. Just on, like psychologically, and there's just all this pressure all the time. And But is is this like. Is this like trying to talk to your daughter, you know, the night before she's getting married or the morning she's getting married? And it doesn't matter what you say because they don't know they're they're in a different world. Right. I think it's probably like that. Could be just like that. That's why you probably want to write him a letter. Just reading that Trump's son says this has uh, this whole situation has uh, humbled his father. I bet. As he starts taking the scope of what this job is. Well, everyone keeps hoping that in this humbling process, he will, you know, mature emotionally, need to talk less about numbers. 
of people that love him. And follow him on Twitter. Tweet less and instead just get to the business of the people. He got a new phone. We talked about that earlier. Yeah. He uh, also – well, two things. One, his private jet's gone, right? Yeah. He got a Samsung, right? I don't know what it was because Obama's been on TV showing his phone. And he goes, do you know that toy phone you get your five-year-old? That's my phone. That's Fisher Price. It makes noises. It's funny because he probably will not fly his jet again. No. Until when he flew to New uh, flew to DC, they put him on the. uh, It was uh, a military jet. It would be a jet like the Secretary of State would fly around on. So he flew on that plane, and uh, they want him on their the military, uh, you know, planes. And then they took his phone away so that he doesn't just randomly call people. And that (sighs) who has his phone number? Apparently, everyone did. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, everybody's got his phone number, but now you got to go through. And by the way, in every call that's now made. Recorded, yeah. Because it's now this is this is a government phone. He can now have it. Uh, it can be subpoenaed, right? Yep. Um, all right. Let's. Uh, we'll take a break. Uh, but coming up next, w- you know, when you're at work or school or around friends, we usually try to keep a smile on our faces. We act like uh, you know, like we like being around all the people that are around us. But everybody has a few pet peeves that they just need to get out there. Here's a little tangent from Leanna Tan and her pet peeves. Yesterday I got a ride home from my coworker and we were just sitting in the car and talking and he started talking about things that really bug him that people do. And he seemed really passionate about his pet peeves. Let's go down to the library. So I started thinking about my own life. Are there things that people do that just really irk me? This Italian dressing is delicious. You know, I think all of us do. Well, I could care less. We see the same constantly annoying things over and over again. And when I got to the register, ironically, I forgot my wallet. But we never really say anything about it. We keep all our annoyed feelings tucked inside. These pet peeves are literally killing me! Maybe that's not healthy. MySahara.org says suppressing your emotions consciously and deliberately can lead to damaging effects on your mind and body, like high blood pressure and heart disease. So in order to save my own health and sanity and that of my coworkers, I decided to bring him into the studio for a venting session. Okay, I have here with me my friend Palakiko. What are some of your pet peeves? When people don't squeeze the toothpaste bottle from the bottom. They can never use all of it. But when I go into bathrooms and the toothpaste isn't pressed from the bottom, like when they squeeze it like right in the middle, I actually grab the toothpaste bottle, like if it's in my friend's apartment, and I like rub it up against the counter and push all the bottom all the way to the top. When people pop their gum inside their mouth. It sounds like a little firecracker, like stifled, but it's like really the kid sitting behind you in class. Okay, what's okay. your next pet peeve? I, I think this is a common one amongst people that are taller. Open cupboards. So you're like washing dishes and like a roommate will come and open a cupboard and you're washing dishes and they don't close it. And then you turn around and you walk and it just smacks you right in the face. You know, I wouldn't know because I am not tall. So and you're probably the cupboard opener. Yeah, it bugs me when people fake cry when they're talking in front of a group of people and they are trying to get an emotion across, trying to get this deep feeling. And so they have this fake cry voice that is like acting 
it's not genuine, you know. They just hold their voice at a high pitch and kind of have their throat closed. I don't know how to explain it, but I'm just like, oh. So I'm from Hawaii, and I hate it when people ask me if I'm from Hawaii. Hawaii? <laughs> Hawaii? We're going on a vacation in Hawaii. And I meet people every day, and they're like, where are you from? I'm like, oh, I'm from Hawaii. And they're like, oh, where's that? And I'm like, oh, I'm from Hawaii. And they're like, oh, Hawaii, Hawaii. <laughs> so this is how you pronounce Hawaii. Huh? Huh? Vai. Vai. It's a soft V sound. Vai. E. E. Hawaii. Sorry, this just, this bothers me. Slow typers. T. H. Uh, e. I don't know. It just drives me insane if I'm standing next to them, trying to help them, and they're typing slow. Two-finger type? I can't stand. I'm just like, okay. can I do it? And also the people that have to use the mouse for everything. So I'm half Hawaiian, half Chinese. Another one of my biggest pet peeves is when I see people use chopsticks wrong. Ah, this works as a stab it. You gotta practice, which means you gotta eat more Asian food, so it's the best kind of insult <laughs> he could give you. He's just telling you to eat more Asian just food. Just eat more Asian food. Well, I feel much better. I mean, we definitely resurfaced some disturbing suppressed memories, but overall, I feel more clarity and connection with my own irritations. You should probably give it a try sometime. Happy venting, everyone. I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Uh, Terry South also here as well as Jeffrey Simpson. And we are your front line on the inauguration. We can tell you what they're really? wearing. We can tell you who has now been seated. Uh, I think all of the past presidents and their spouses have been seated. President Obama, President-elect Trump are in the Capitol building making their way to begin this entire program. Here we go. Get ready. It's happening, folks. And uh, we got a lot to talk about. We will be talking about um, the inaugural process and uh, just some important information. Barron finally made it with the rest of his brothers and sisters. Well, he's in, he's bringing up the the end of the the train of Trump yeah. kids it's, how, as they're walking around. How great would it have been had it been like a Home Alone situation where he wakes up <laughs> and he's just Dad, Mom. He's in New York. <laughs> ah, where's Barron? Whenever, um, whenever the camera gets close to him, he turns away and he's really not enjoying this moment i think no I and the think... others are just trying not to fall down the steps they keep making them walk down as they proceed from the in- inner of the capitol building to the it's not a stand. lot of space they're they have to get through these narrow hallways yeah. and um but they're there they're all there and soon th- this will get underway i think it's expected that in about one hour he'll take he'll he'll do the address he'll uh, yes. take the oath so about an hour, is that right? Official, uh, the, the things I was reading this morning, about 11.30 Eastern is when they start the official program. Yeah. About noon Eastern is when Trump takes the oath, and then soon after he begins his speech. And then by about 1 Eastern, he unravels 
President Obama's. No, no, no. Years. They have the parade and there's oh, a lunch in the Capitol and all yeah. kinds of stuff. They got stuff to do. They're busy. But first, we'll hear from the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, from the Piano Guys. No, the Piano Guys were last night. Oh, they were last night. Yeah, okay. they participated last night. But this is, remember, going to be the inauguration that will be soft and sensual, sensual, which is why we play this 70s music yeah. from Charlie's Angels. I think it fits. <laughs> yeah. oh, totally fits. It don't captures say, the moment. Don't even say that it's Charlie's Angels because we could get in trouble for that. Right. It's but not, it's not. It's it just would be the car it would be the car music they'd be playing as they're driving the it's Pacific ins- Coast in, Highway. It's inspired by them. I think I think this is from the show Chuck's Winged Creatures. Wow. Sounds fantastic. Hey, by the way, we will be talking with Rod, Rod Gustafson about movies. Um, and uh, some of the new reviews that are coming out, some movies that will be released uh, soon, or I think this weekend even. Um, Also, we will be getting to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Plus, we're going to be talking presidential movies. Movies and and kind of the ideal president. Some some of those movies show a really strong president that will take on the terrorist or whatever, and other movies show really dumb presidents that, don't have a clue. We'll get to all of that fun. But first, to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? As thousands of attendees converge on security lines early Friday morning in a tense Washington, D.C. in the hours before the inauguration of Donald Trump, Capitol Police and the National Park Service estimate one million people will attend the installment of the 45th U.S. president. Though rain could put a damper on the proceedings, weather forecasts predict an 80% chance of rain during the ceremony. With temperatures hovering around the mid-40s, the wet weather is expected to taper off by afternoon. Trump himself joked about it. We heard about it earlier as he said, everyone will know this is my real hair as it gets wet and he doesn't really care. Of course In addition to the hair. drizzly weather, security officials are preparing for dozens of protests throughout the city. With demonstrators uh, reported to target mass transit and inauguration ticket lines just to cause you know chaos. Demonstrations are also planned across the country today and over the weekend. So more mm. to look forward to as you... Yeah. Watch that. Uh, President-elect Trump's Treasury Secretary nominee Steve Mnuchin defended his controversial record on Thursday by slamming the press for maligning him and painting him as a villain. In the press, it has been said that I ran a foreclosure machine, he said. It's not accurate description of my role at One West Bank. On the contrary, I was committed to a loan modification intended to stop foreclosures. I ran a loan modification machine. That was it. Now... Not a foreclosing machine. That happened to foreclose on a lot of people, too. Yeah. Because they asked him, what about all the veterans that were foreclosed on? He goes, well, if that happened, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he also failed to disclose over $100 million in assets in the Senate Finance Committee disclosure documents. It was in a Cayman Islands account. You know, well, you, you misplaced those if they you have know, many of them. Who hasn't left $100 million here or there? He's a billionaire. That's why they're... They're taking some time with us because they're finding more money here. They're finding, uh, you know, different hedge funds and different, you know, quarter, yeah. you know, it's a problem. Ah. They have to find out who this guy is. Uh, President Barack Obama on Thursday took one more opportunity to thank the American people just one day before leaving office. In a longstanding White House tradition, the outgoing president leaves his successor a personal note in the Oval Office containing words of wisdom based on what they've learned during their tenure. But as Obama explained in a letter to the public, he wanted to go a step further by thanking the public for all the good things they have done and the good people that they are. The note goes on to offer Americans hope when the arc of progress seems slow, an apparent nod to those feeling apprehensive 
about the incoming administration. Huh. Okay. So, left a note. It's online if you want to see it. Good. And finally, Americans are hopeful for 2017, according to a new AP poll. They hope it'll be better than 2016. Yeah. I mean, this could this could get the economy could kick in like crazy. As it says, 18% of the country said things for the country got better in 2016. Meanwhile, 33% said things got worse. 47% said it was unchanged. Hmm. Doesn't everyone hope the previous year will not – or doesn't everybody hope that the current year will be better than the previous year? You hope so. You would think so, except <laughs> when there's this political rancor, it's not – it's so hard because, you know, Donald Trump could destroy it. Looking ahead to the next year, 55% said they believe things will be better in 2017 than 2016. That's 12 percentage point increase from last year's poll. Wow. Thank you, Donald Trump. <laughs> a lot of red hats. Uh, you, as, as they just kind of scan the crowd, you can see a lot of red hats that uh, say make America great again. And Barron is smiling. Yeah, Barron's in the game now. Barron was missing from last night's celebration in front of um, the Lincoln Memorial. He was. He, he might have. He might have been just playing video games. He was probably yeah back in Trump or on a computer. His, his father says he's really good at computers. Maybe they grounded him, but Maybe. he's here today, and he's there with the rest of the Trump family, standing waiting for the arrival of President Obama and President-elect Trump. I think he was kicking uh, Trump Jr. Yeah, Donald Jr.'s uh, like the back of his feet as was they were he? walking because yeah. yeah, Jr. turned around. Like, Would you back up a little bit? Yeah, thank you. Well, I think what it is is there's a lot of and the Trump family are really good at at, at making it look good. I mean, they they know space out, spread out, fill the space, and I think little Baron just hasn't been trained in all of these. He's young. Yeah, he's got time. He's got some years. Plenty of time. So um, Donald has actually told us a little bit about what he's going to be saying um, on his speech today. Um, Here is Donald Trump as he talks about today's speech. Tomorrow we have a speech, probably around 12 o'clock. It may rain, it may not rain. I don't care. doesn't matter. I mean, the truth is, if it really pours, that's okay, because people will realize it's my real hair, and that's okay. It's okay. So he had – That was at a donor's dinner that they had last night. Uh, just a little donor's dinner. It was actually kind of big, but yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like he's hoping it'll rain so people will finally know the truth. He was daring it to rain. Yes. Come on, Mother Nature. <laughs> and by the way, let's be very <laughs> Give me your clear. your worst. <laughs> if you dare – I mean you're taking on – he's taken on the Pope. Yeah. So why not take on Mother Nature? Why not? Yeah. Well, Mother Nature has lightning. Eh. You ought to be careful. It's not really accurate um, with it. This is Donald Trump talking about how he wants to unify the country. It's a movement that started, and it's a movement like we've never seen anywhere in the world, they say. There's never been a movement like this, and it's something very, very special. And we're going to unify our country. And our phrase, you all know it, you half of you are wearing the hat, make America great again, but we're going to make America great for all of our people, everybody. Okay. U-N-I-T-Y. Unity. Queen Latifah. Unity. Now, let's just, he, he made that announcement last night at the celebration in front of the Lincoln Memorial. Right. And was standing, and he said, there has never been a movement like this before. There has never been a movement like this before. And he was he, he made that announcement standing virtually in the exact spot 
that Martin Luther King started the civil rights movement. But did he say this is the greatest movement or there has never been a movement like this one? I th- I don't remember because those are different. But we just well we just no he did just say there has never been a movement like this. I think he actually said both of those things hmm. just in that quote right there. Because one of those statements could be true. Yeah. Uh, Have you seen anything like this before? Like what? Well, his rise to power. No. Okay. So there you go. So he spoke the truth. This has never been seen before. No, it's everyone's in awe, and you can see it just as they walk in to the Capitol, and and they take their place on the on the uh, on the Capitol steps. Bern, even Bernie Sanders is there, grumpy, looks, as, grumpy as usual. He just looks bewildered, like what happened? <laughs> if you put Larry David next to him, could you differentiate the two? Yeah, I I, I could because I know I know. But when they're both – when Larry David is doing Bernie Sanders, you, it's hard to differentiate. Well, it's um, it's happening, folks. Again, just minutes away from um, the, big, the big moment. And think about it. How are you going to handle it? How are you going to get through this? There is a kind of a protest movement. There is. When it comes to watching the well, proceedings today. A lot of people aren't showing up. Well, people are saying don't if if you don't support Trump, then you don't watch because the one thing Trump likes is ratings. Yeah. So if you give him the ratings, you're feeding into the ego. Right. So stay away from the broadcast, and then you you won't be part of that. And it's like, no, well, that doesn't yeah. really work that way. In the end, though, there has got to be something bigger than politics. No, oh, we have to constantly fight for the next four years. Yeah. It's just it makes it, total sense, Matt. Well, and remember too, it makes money for every network covering it, mm. which is why they love politics because it just it allows people to constantly fight, even if it's not in the best interest of the country to continually fight. This is a moment where we really should come together. And historically we have for a day mm. or two. Yeah, sure. Give them maybe a week and a half. But usually you could give them at least, a, you know, give them an inauguration ceremony. Give them the ceremony. Right. But that's not happening, it doesn't seem like in this case. How much different is this speech from a State of the Union? I don't know. And most of the State of the Unions I've heard is a lot of talk and then stuff doesn't happen because they're talking like, in 10 years we'll do, you know. Right. You're right. not going to be in office in 10 years. But this is the biggest... This is the biggest speech he will give. Right. Because if he – like – and George W. Bush had a big bump out of his election. Mm-hmm. I mean out of his inaugural address. It, he had a bump and it gave him a lot of goodwill and then you can use that goodwill to as cash and – as cachet. And he – I you wonder if Donald's going to be able to pull that off. Again, he does have speech writers and they're excellent speech writers but apparently – He's taking credit for having written this. This is him. The head of his inaugural committee said he really would expect that you'll see a turn here. You'll see him turn into president as he starts to become humbled and somewhat overwhelmed by this by this new this new position. Well, it's, finally he's taking credit for something. Yeah. Oh, he takes credit for a lot of things. A lot of things. Anyway, we'll get to all that fun. Um, continue. We'll continue to update you as as the day goes on. 
Um, But let's take a break. And when we come back, we will be talking with Rod Gustafson about the movies. Uh, We'll have Jeff Simpson interviewing Rod Gustafson. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt for this segment. It's one of my favorite segments. I think uh, Matt just wanted an excuse to uh, watch the inauguration. What do you think? Anyway, we tease because we love. But uh, no, his loss is my gain because I'm going to be speaking now with Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com. And he uh, he's a great resource for us to help parents make more informed choices when uh, watching movies with their children, especially. And he's going to be reviewing a couple of new movies uh, today. Rod, it's wonderful to have you back. Hey, hi, Jeff. It's good to be here with you. I I want you to know I, I have my phone propped up on my desk here watching the inauguration. So I'm honestly not trying to be too distracted. But so I, I'm... How many, I hope there's somebody listening besides you and I, because <laughs> this is a rather important moment. <laughs> well, I will be listening to you and uh, I'll, right. I'll, tur- I'll turn away from the TV. So uh, <laughs> so you, you mentioned we're going to be uh, reviewing a couple of movies here today. Which ones did you have in mind? Well, let's start with the one that released last week. And I think this is one parents, um, you know, it's called Monster Trucks. And I mean, this film has not made a whole lot of money. I think over the last week it's made about 13 million, which, you know, that's not too shabby. I feel for parents, though, especially parents who have kids in that kind of 8 to 12-year-old range because – Usually the movies that we get, the action films and whatnot, I wouldn't recommend for that age. But then the other uh, the other op- option that you get are movies that are are so made for little kids that you know the average ten year old Taiki's going to say, "Ah, oh, this is kid stuff." So right. <laughs> Monster Trucks is one of those little rare movies that that fills that void of the eight to twelve year old. And now, so I want you to think like you're. I want you to think like you're an eight-year-old right now, Jeff. This is a movie about a I young usually man think named... that way. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. Okay, we're on the same page. And this is a movie about a young man named Trip, and uh, he his dream. He works at a garage, and his dream is to to turn this old old pickup truck into a monster truck one day. Well, one night, late at night, he's at the garage, and this strange creature shows up as this humongous blob type thing, and um. And this is what changes his truck. Now, I need to tell you where the creature comes from. Like uh, most movies, if there's an oil company in a movie, they're bad dudes. And in this movie, that's that's the my, my one criticism. Come on, not all of them are bad, okay? <laughs> but anyhow, they're drilling, and they're drilling through for oil, and they go through a water, a, a seam of water way down in the ground. And, of course, the oil tycoon, they're, they're all warning him, don't do this, this water's under high pressure. And we think that we may see prehistoric life in this water. So we should, we should check that out first so we don't damage the environment. And, of course, the oil guy says, drill on, people, let's get going, let's make money. So they do this. Well, uh, they hit this high-pressure water, and out of the pipe comes this beast that shows up in Tripp's shop. So this big blob of a beast is something from, uh, you know, a million years ago that's been living in the water way, way beneath the surface of the earth. But 
here's where it gets really weird, Jeff. He crawls into the chassis of Tripp's truck, and he's got all these tentacles, and his tentacles glow in the dark to make it even more dramatic. And when he puts the tentacle on the axles of the truck, it makes the axle spin at very fast speeds. So Tripp's monster truck really becomes a monster truck. Well, of course, the oil tycoon and his minions are looking for this beast because they don't want this thing to get out into the public because otherwise then there will be this big pressure on these guys that look what you've done, you've ruined the environment. So they want to try and capture this this blob called Creech now is what is what Trip has called it. Meanwhile, of course, Trip is bonding to the blob. This is a boy and his dog movie, except it's a boy and his blob movie. <laughs> so it sounds like this is one of those movies that started with a title. You know, wouldn't it be funny if we took this common term and made mm-hmm. it a literal term? Made it literal. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and that's what this is. This is a literal monster truck. So parents, you know, really, there's very little objectionable um, content in this. There are a couple of scary scenes, you know, where, and I'm talking mildly scary, where characters are in peril, especially uh, Cheech, the the monster. And uh, But he really is quite a friendly guy. And, um, you know, I, I could just see this movie really getting the imaginations of young boys going and girls too and what I um, what I appreciated about it is there's really no sexual content, there's no profanity this is just silly imaginative fun and we don't get many of those. Now would you recommend it? I, I would. I mean, if your movie budget is tight, you could wait for this one on home video and wait for the Blu-ray, DVD, downloadable, whatever your your flavor of choice is. And, uh, and you know, it would certainly, but but I'm going to try and bring this one back out up again when it does come out for home viewing. Um, but at the same time, if you're looking for something, you want to get to the theater and point, you know, January, there's not much out for kids in the movie theaters right now. So this could be a really good choice. Okay, now, Rod, for this next one, I want you to tread carefully because I'm going to be seeing this movie in about four <laughs> hours. So uh, don't give away anything. Uh, it's it's M. Night Shyamalan's new movie, right? Yes, that's right. And as soon as we hear M. Night Shyamalan, we know that we should be prepared to get a little bit scared. So, um, all right. So, Jeff, I won't really ruin the movie for you as far as give away any spoilers because you always have to be so careful in M. Night's movies not to do that. But this film, it, it kind of hit me. Okay, I'm going, I'm going to rewind a little back to 10 Cloverfield Lane last year. That was a movie about a young woman who basically is being held captive by an older man. And that movie, I really enjoyed. I came out of it feeling like, okay, that was scary, but it was real satisfying scary. This is a movie about three teenage girls who are kidnapped by an older man. And uh, it turns out that this man has a multiple personality disorder. There are 23 different personalities living within his mind. And so uh, when he kidnaps them, he locks them into this room. And uh, and then each time he appears at the door, you're never sure which person he is going to be. Now, this is a, a, a really scary movie, but it kind of crosses the line for me a little bit. Um, in that one of the girls, we find out in backstory, has an abusive past herself. Things have happened to her. And as we watch this this whole movie unfold, 
I just kind of felt like, you know, I started thinking about that, that, that horrific news story in Cleveland a few years back where they discovered the three girls that had been missing and been held captive in the mm. home. And because these are teenage girls and there's also the a very strongly implied, uh, because this guy is meeting with a psychiatrist and she asks him questions about some of his sexual deviancy. And so it's strongly implied that, that his ultimate, some of the ultimate plans for this movie, for these girls are going to involve sexual abuse. And then there's also a bit of a cannibalism thing that comes into play in the theme in this movie as well. So, you know, there were, this movie went some places that really made me feel uncomfortable, which like I say, it's, it's a very similar to plot to what we had in 10 Cloverfield Lane. But in that movie, we had an adult female. It still, you know, has issues there, of course, with the woman being the victim, but it just seemed to, play out much more as entertainment. Whereas this one, it turns into very much a psychological thriller, but one that almost, at least for me, started making me feel uncomfortable. So there you have it. You know, if, if you're looking for a movie that makes you scared, makes you feel scared and vulnerable, it does that very, very well. And depending on your own life experiences and what you bring to this, that could be a good thing or a bad thing. So it seems like the themes are a bit heavier than they than they were in 10 Cloverfield Lane. What a great premise, though. That sounds like a great idea for a premise. You know, each time mm-hmm. this man comes back, you're not sure which personality you're going to get. Yes. It, and that part of it works really well. I, I guess, it, you know, if Rod could remake the movie, uh, I would not make these teenage girls. I'd, I'd make them adults. Uh, one of the things that happens is uh, a couple of the girls, uh, one of the personality types is very OCD. A couple of the girls get some dirt and stuff on their clothes. So he, he, he commands them that they need to remove their clothes because they're dirty. And, you know, you just and I know the actresses are in their 20s and that type of thing. But still, these are depictions of teen girls and and that for me is where it just it took it off the rails for me and I just found that I couldn't really appreciate the movie as much as 10 Cloverfield Lane the other thing John Goodman in 10 Cloverfield Lane brought a, a sense of strange sense of humor into that movie that helped to diffuse things a little bit and I and that doesn't really happen as much in this one either so so yeah, that's it. the premise is cool. I must admit, the multiple personality and bringing that into a into a horror movie really is a very unique way to work with the character. Oh, and I should mention James McAvoy, who plays this guy, incredible performance. I mean, this is like acting two hundred one. I want you to be eight different people within five minutes. Wow, and he does that very well. You know, you mentioned at the beginning of the segment that you had your iPhone in front of you with the inauguration. <laughs> In the background of this conversation, there is one other movie that came out today that I think a lot of people are likening unto Donald Trump, and that is the founder with Michael Keaton, mm-hmm. because you have yes. this man who who has who kind of weasels his way into this giant uh, business, and a lot of people are saying that it's kind of not too dissimilar to Donald Trump kind of weaseling his way into the White House. Interesting use of the word weasel. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> have you seen that found, one yet? 
I have, yes. Saw the founder some time ago uh, when it, this was gunning for a lot of awards. The founder, actually, we gave this movie a B grade. This is a very interesting film. It is. This is a true story about Ray Kroc. And if you know anything about the history of McDonald's, as in the fast food chain, uh, Ray Kroc is really the guy that got McDonald's going. Um, but it also tells the story of Dick and Mac McDonald, who were the two McDonald brothers who originally had a little drive-in restaurant in California. And, uh, and they were the people that pioneered the idea of a hamburger stand where you got your, your food in like 60 seconds after you ordered. And what really interested Ray Kroc about this was that he was, at the time, he was selling milkshake machines and different restaurant um, equipment. And when he looked at the, pro the productivity of, of the McDonald brothers, he was just blown away. And so he depending on your on your view, uh, stole or borrowed some of the ideas from the McDonald brothers, entered into a business agreement with them um, to franchise their restaurant. And one of the brothers really thought this was a good idea. The other one didn't. Well, as time went on, Ray, and weasel is the right word, Ray really weaseled his way in and started... Um, started uh, modifying the agreement, not in a way that really put him in breach of contract, but definitely uh, put him into qu in a question of whether he is acting in good faith. And so uh, one of my concerns about this movie is it is very one-sided. Ray Kroc is really shown as being a rather devious an unlikable protagonist, which is, uh, which to me, I kind of wish that they would have balanced it a little bit more. But this is a movie. This is not a documentary. I would like to know the other side of the story. Biggest issue in this film for content is some profanity. Um, we do have a couple of sexual expletives in this movie. Otherwise, really not a whole lot, obviously, in violence, just some verbal sparring back and forth. Um, and Ray is not also another disappointing thing about him. I'm assuming this is true. He winds up leaving his wife for another woman as well, so that's depicted in this film. There's no real sexual content depicted, but this happens as part of the story. So it is a very interesting movie, and um, it really shows, I guess... A part of the message that's difficult is that it says essentially that the good guys usually lose. And the McDonald brothers are really good guys. They are portrayed as just being these wonderful men, and uh, but they just can't keep up with some of the of uh, some of the uh, you could either say clever or strategic or devious business uh, methods of Ray Kroc. Okay, Rod, so the, 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 the important question about this movie, am I going to go see this and immediately get hungry for a Big Mac? <laughs> yes. I, I, I'm funny that you bring that up because at the end of that movie, I thought, I need a hamburger. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I could always go eat. for some of their French fries, that's for sure. You know, I, 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 and now I'm going to tell you my political stance at McDonald's. I think they're unfairly picked upon. I really do. I mean, you know, everything in moderation. Uh, yeah, if you're going to live at a fast food place, you're going to gain weight, and that's not going to be a healthy way to live. But at the same time, I think that especially with they've been so under the microscope over the last decade, uh, I think that they're probably working harder to bring quality food onto the onto into your uh, into your paper bag than what maybe even some of the other franchises are so you know I don't have a hate on for McDonald's at all and I and I guess that was part of this movie 
kind of is looking to fan those flames a little bit. Well, Rod, thank you. Since we didn't get the balance that you were hoping for in the movie, we got it from you a little bit on uh, McDonald's. <laughs> so thank you so much for being with us. We always enjoy speaking with you. And we got to let you go so that you can uh, check out the inauguration. Yep, we're almost getting up to the most <laughs> important point. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Rod. All right. Take care. All right, we will take a quick break. When we come back, as Matt Tees, we're going to be talking presidents in movies or presidential movies, whether they're good presidents, bad presidents, maybe not some ugly presidents, but uh, we'll talk presidents in movies when we come back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, again, they're just finishing the invocation um, of uh, at the inaugural uh, celebration, I guess, at the inauguration of President-elect Donald Trump. Uh, we've got so much to talk about. In fact, right now we're going to talk about movies that involve presidents. There it is. Because there's been many a movie, and uh, some of the times they make the president look incredibly powerful and strong. Other times they just look like a klutz. So it's interesting. You mentioned uh, we talked earlier about these presidents that we have, these dreams about, you know, these romanticized versions of the presidents that we want in the White House. And there are presidents that we just want to see that are really tough, like in the movie Independence Day, everybody remembers the great speech that Bill Pullman gives to all yeah. of the fighter pilots before they all get up in their planes and go fight the aliens. So an alien fighting president, who doesn't want that? Right? Everybody wants that. Right. And then interestingly enough, in another, uh, I think it's Noah Emmerich or, yeah, he directed Independence Day. He also directed White House Down, which has Jamie Foxx as a president who's, who's pretty tough. Yeah. He's getting protected by... Uh, Channing Tatum uh-huh. of Magic Mike fame. <laughs> uh, and then there's also, of course, Harrison Ford in Air Force oh, One. Oh, yeah, he's tough. Get off my plane. You know, as That's these terrorists cool. overtake airplane or uh, Air Force One. So before we get to the, the ideal president, and more, more ideal in the sense of ideals and not ideal and let's see a really tough president... There are some of the doofuses yeah. in presidential Which, yeah. movies. So in Doctor Strangelove, you have Peter Sellers, who's playing three different characters. So he was... Mike Myers is kind of the Peter Sellers of, of his time. Peter Sellers plays, uh, of course, the President of the United States. He also plays, <laughs> uh, gosh, somebody in the Army or in the in a general or, or something. And then he plays, of course, Doctor Strangelove, who has an, who's an ex-Nazi scientist who's an advisor to the president. Oh, really? Which you would think would be not a very good idea. Right, yeah. So uh, <laughs> he's the pre- he plays a president who famously says, gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. <laughs> so there's Dr. Strangelove. There's a Canadian Bacon. Oh, yeah. Where Alan Alda plays the president, whose numbers are not looking so good. And so his uh, cabinet... Created controversy. Yeah, created controversy by uh, declaring war on Canada. 
<laughs> and coming out with all sorts of propaganda to just paint them as these horrible people that wow. we should fear. Well, many people would say Trump did the same thing with our southern border. Interesting. Huh. So the last one I want to mention is one you probably have not seen. American Dreams with a Z. Ah, uh, no. Where you have an unpopular president who is eerily similar to George W. Bush, who's just a complete idiot. Really? And in order to boost his numbers, his cabinet members, uh, they convince him to go on this popular singing competition show, which is very similar to American Idol. Okay. And Hugh Grant plays this Simon Cowell-type character. When did this movie come out? It came back in, uh, I want to say, mid-2000s. You should check it out. It's, it's pretty funny. Um, and then, so now let's get to the ideal presidents okay. in movies. Okay. So we have, of course, the American president with Michael Douglas as the commander in chief. Yeah. Who, and the interesting thing about this one is he's a single president, which you don't really no, see. No, that's hard to find. And so it's a romantic comedy. He falls in love with Annette Benning, who's this lobbyist who has kind of, you know, a shady past. And it's just a really cute, charming, huh. romantic comedy. So that's a Rob Reiner movie. There, of course, is Lincoln, yes. where Daniel uh, Day-Lewis played Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Who better to play Abraham Lincoln right. than a Brit? That would, but he's a method that, actor, right? <laughs> and uh, he really became Daniel Day-Lewis. That was a great movie. He sounded just like him, don't you think? I don't remember hearing him, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. And then my favorite, my absolute favorite presidential movie. Of all time. Of all time, Dave. Which is interesting because Kevin Klein plays the president in this movie who's not a very likable or a decent person. Yeah. But the main character that he plays is this guy named Dave. I can't remember his last name offhand. But when the president has a stroke or he goes into a coma, Dave, who just happens to look exactly like the president, is called to in to step in and take in or take over as commander in chief. Now, his day job is he helps people find jobs, right? Yeah. And so you would think that would be a great fit. And he, what a great job, yeah. He really is just a sweet, down-to-earth, kind-hearted man who really wants to make a difference in the country. And so he starts out by having these cabinet members pulling the strings and making decisions for him. But then as the movie goes on, he starts to be a little more bold and make decisions that he feels are right and it's just a That's clever, cool. funny movie directed by Ivan Reitman, who did the Ghost or the Ghostbusters movies. Sigourney Weaver is the first lady who uh, doesn't know right away that her husband is not her husband. <laughs> just a great movie. Surprise. Makes you now wonder if what if an impersonator is? How do we know Trump is Trump? Maybe he's in, there's an impersonator. He's probably got a few people on hand. Yeah, you I bet there's know. a lot of people that can imitate him. You, I mean, you mentioned earlier this week on the show that you got to know that there are going to be some of those meetings he's not going to want to go to. Yeah. So he why just not just do get a Donald Trump impersonator? Well, what's his name? Uh, who does him? Who who in, who imitates him on Saturday Alec Baldwin? <laughs> just pay Alec Baldwin. He needs work, right? Every actor needs work. <laughs> just get him in there. Now the thing about it is, Alec's more. Li- he's a, he's a he's a liberal, so. 
he'd, he'd, you know, he'd be able to turn a lot of meetings. I don't think Donald has been too pleased with Alec's portrayal of him on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, I think that that wouldn't work. They're going head to head. Okay, well, we will take a break. And uh, that's a great review. That was an incredibly intensive review. You went through how many movies? Probably 12. Well, there were three or 10 that I didn't mention. That's a lot of movies about the president. He's just an obvious, you know. We could have done a whole segment on all the different actors that have portrayed Nixon. And all the disasters that have taken place at the White House as well. Okay, we will take a break, folks. Come back. Visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Let's uh, shoot it down now to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. I am sitting next to the secretary of the president of BYU Sports Nation's snark. Really? Jerem Jordan. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know he had that title. Well, he does now. Did he go through a cabinet hearing? Did he have to go through the Senate? No. It was much more rigorous than that. No. <laughs> is that oh, – there he is. You can hear the snark a little bit. <laughs> no. It's, oh, the snark's coming out. This is fun. Hey, uh, Jerem, Jerem caught me um, – It's Jerem. No, I know. No, Jerem caught me uh, watching TV. I'm we, watching uh, TV as well. You, you See? So, I have it on my uh, telephone. Is this why you're getting all snarky? No. <laughs> no, Jerem's just built – he's got built-in snark. Yeah. He was born. He was born with it. Yeah, that comes standard. (laughs) I'm I'm one of the most sincere people you've ever met. You are? Yeah. No, you are. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I don't care what everyone else is saying about you. Yeah, don't worry about what everyone thinks. (laughs) The majority, that doesn't get like people elected. Have you you guys been watching any of the uh, inaugural proceedings? Did you watch the party last night? I haven't until 10 minutes. Okay. Come on. You guys. We, We were busy. Last night we were at the Pepperdine game. That's right. And then uh, this morning we were, we were prepping the show. We were in the parking lot, what, 11 hours ago? Yeah. So what have you been doing all morning? Prepping for the I show. I mean, usually Spencer shows up about 20 minutes before, right? That, yes. Yeah. That's generous. <laughs> it's so generous. Okay. Here's a question that's for you. generous. Uh, you guys, Oakland Raiders have applied to move to Las Vegas. We are so excited because our producer, Ben Bagley, is a big Oakland Raiders fan. Yeah, I'm more excited for Ben than for anybody yeah. else. Because so now like, they're closer. Road trip! <laughs> Road trip. But no, isn't there a gambling problem? I, pro players shouldn't be in the gambling mecca. That's that's left less of an issue than it used to be. Okay, is it? I don't know that's how... more of a stigma with, like, Vegas is known yeah. for that. It is more family-friendly yeah. on the outskirts now. Right. Obviously, the strip is what it is. But I, I don't think that that's a, that big of an issue. That's why there's going to be an NHL team there mm-hmm. or there uh, next year. Yeah. And then there will be an NFL team in 2019. In our day and age, when everybody has a camera with them on their person, it is really dumb for any of these high-profile people to try anything stupid. Now, 20 years ago, I could see this becoming a huge issue. But now, they're they're all going to be put on lockdown and on notice that hey while we were playing in las vegas don't do anything dumb because everybody <laughs> will see it yeah well, they'll, they'll still do dumb things but the 
illegality of betting on your sport or your games a la Pete Rose, mm-hmm. that could still happen, but it's not a, a modern-day issue as much. They'll still go to the club, and they'll they still, still have DUIs go. and drugs sure. and whatever. That will still happen. Sure. And they can go to the plays. Right, they can go to the the they, shows. The shows. They can go to NFL the players Excalibur. are often yeah. seen at Phantom. They go uh-huh. see Celine Dion and the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> Donnie yeah, and Marie. Yeah, Donnie and Marie. Yes. I mean, That's it'll be that'll be number one, number one show in Vegas right now, man. Oh, for sure. And the, Boom. plus the all you can eat buffets. I mean, there's more to Vegas than just gambling. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hello. Yeah, so, yeah, it's it's nice too. Locally, for uh, you know, us, we're like. Hey, there's an NFL team like five hours away. Yeah. That's, oh, that'll Can be cool. Can you imagine Monday Night Football in Vegas? <laughs> Love oh, that's it. That's true. Love I, it. I have not. because, And you can just go to St. George, hang yeah. out, then drive over to the big Absolutely. game. Listen, I'm, and our producer, Ben Bagley, the dude loves to golf. He loves good restaurants. He's fun to hang out with. So totally. we're like, yeah, this is selfishly awesome. Yeah. Yes. He's portable. He's, he He's travels well. We'll do BYU Sports Nation live from Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> we do every year in March. And then go to the game that night. Well, maybe this is going to be strange because now... No may- promises on that. Denver, Denver <laughs> has always been one of Utah's favorite teams. I wonder if, if, if this happens, if the Oakland Raiders... Oh, yes. They, uh, will, they will steal some fans. I'm not sure the demo matches up. <laughs> The, the clean-cut Bronco versus the crazy Raider fan. You're suggesting that those in Cedar City aren't automatically going to become Oakland or, excuse me, yeah. Las Vegas Raiders fans? Yeah, 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 they will. You can tell. <laughs> you can totally tell. It's in them. They're just just in certain places. I'm guessing Cedar City is 95% pro-Denver Broncos. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. That's <laughs> They're a just safe waiting bet. for another Steve Young on the Niners. <laughs> what, what are you guys, uh, what's on your show? You're still doing your show, right? That Today, we are. Today's an interesting one. So BYU won by 29 against Pepperdine. Boring! <laughs> They're headed out on the road tomorrow, and that's been an issue for the Cougars. What, the, what Dave Rose and Eric Mika have said, uh, and, and what's going on with their road play, because they're 1-2 and two in conference play on the road, and that one game was an 18-point comeback. Yeah, why is the head coach stressed after a 29-point win? Yeah. We'll There's real reason to that. But he's Okay. Wow. Chris Miles, former BYU center, will join us. How are going for two picks went? And a silver medalist in the Olympics, Guard Young, is on the show, the head coach of BYU women's gymnastics. Goodness gracious. And there that's uh, on tonight, uh, BYU TV. Hey, our Eastern. list of Olympians that we know is getting longer. I know. We were, we were like, wait, we like know some Olympians. Right. It's cool. Yeah, a couple of medalists, right? Well, Pretty do you remember cool when it, I remember Sander, when Young? I first met you, the only Olympic medalist you knew was Bruce Jenner. And then now it's just like you guys know all of these people. And now we're like, where'd Bruce go? Yeah, where is Bruce? Bruce? Where are you at? Bruce! 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 <laughs> he won't return our calls. Weird. I know. I know. I think he got a new phone. <laughs> Bruce! He got, he got a new lots of things. Oh, that. <laughs> Whoa! Wow! I knew you'd go there. I was like you holding set back. Me up, Matt. Back, back, you back. Set me and up. it's gone. I, I totally set you up. Um, that was fun, though. Okay, <laughs> I, I know I got to let you go. Um, you guys got to go get you know ready, locked and loaded. By the way, <laughs> Vice President Pence is uh, was just it. sworn in. I'm watching. He's it. the he's the new Vice President, which is weird that they put the Vice President before the President. Because yeah, if something happened right now, Vice President is the Look, President. Every major band has a lead act, right? Right. This is the <gasps> there same. You go. That's the this lead is the act. Same. Yes. Oh, I never there thought of it that way. 
That's great. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, have a great show. Thank Go, you, sir. Keep Go looking low, for Bruce Jenner. Shout out to Bruce. Okay. Bye. Bruce! Peace out. <laughs> Bruce, where are you? Hey, uh, so it's happened. It's he, official. You just brought up a good point. Would that actually be the case if something were to happen to Donald Trump yeah. right now? Would Mike Pence be the next president? I think so. He's been sworn in as the mm. vice president. It seems like he's the obvious pick. Do they not normally do it that way? Do they usually swear in the president first? It seems like you'd want the president first, then everything flows from the president. Wow. But I don't know. Maybe there's maybe you want the president to be last so that it, there's this crescendo of excitement. You always save the best for last, you as always. any showman knows. <laughs> exactly. Hey, uh, here's some uh, numbers for you um, about inaugurations. Uh, in fact, right now, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, dressed in like a beige, uh, like camel, camel hair jacket and uh, I've never scarf. quite seen an outfit like no, that. It looks, it's pretty hip, pretty cool. They're singing a song right now. And then after that, President um, Trump will be taking and, and being sworn in. So um, some some numbers for you, interesting numbers. Seven, the, seven times, the number of times the constitutionally mandated inauguration date has fallen on a Sunday. Seven times it's happened. 56 is the number of formal presidential inaugural ceremonies held since 1789. 56. Uh, 69 is the number of times U.S. presidents have taken the oath of office. Um so some many of them didn't take it at inaugural ceremonies. More than 1.8 million is the estimated number of people that attended President Barack Obama's first inauguration. Those numbers were out of control. It doesn't look like uh, Donald Trump will pull those same level of numbers, even though you may hear that he does. The media is going to lie him. about it. Yeah, of course. That's the fake news. Uh, some other just fun facts. Uh, the number of times the president has been inaugurated or sworn in outside of Washington, six times. The number of words in the shortest um, uh, 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 inaugural address was 135 words from George Washington. Ooh, that president, would have been awesome. President Trump's is supposed to go about 20 minutes. Does George Washington need more than 135 words? No. It's George Washington. I'm George we're killing it. <laughs> Stick Peace with out. me. <laughs> Drop the mic. And he moved on. Uh, number of words. The longest, I guess, was William Henry Harrison's inaugural address, 8,445 words. And yet the shortest presidency. And one month as a president, and then he died because his talk was too long. The average cost in 1809 to go to President James Madison's inaugural ball was $4. So... You know, just some fun little facts for you. Hey, as you know, we always like to end with a hero story. You can all go watch uh, the inauguration. Um, but here's the hero of the day. It's a passerby that saved two children and a woman burning from a Staten Island building, burning uh, in a fire that was at a Staten, a Staten Island building. Uh, the story goes like this. After a long day of work, Delroy Lewis was just f a few feet from his home in Staten Island last month when Matt last month when he saw a flicker caught his eye. He said, I looked over and I saw the windows were on fire. He saw, it says he said, there were huge flames shooting from the front window of his neighbor's house. I banged on the door it and it was open, so I pushed myself in and I went in and the smoke was so huge and so black, Lewis said, with all the dense smoke too thick to see through. He used his hands to guide him through the, uh, the small house. He found a boy and a girl huddled near the middle of the studio ap apartment. 
paralyzed with fear. He pulled the children out to safety, and then he went in and he got the mother. So, hero of the day. That's what America's about, people like that. And uh, it's not always about the leaders. We celebrate uh, the country today and the great people that there are. We will take, uh, that's it, my friends, that's the show. We'll be back tomorrow. Right now, President Trump is stepping up to uh, vice president or president-elect Trump is stepping up to be sworn in as the 45th president of the United States. We'll be back uh, again Monday. More ideas, more tools to help you live longer, love stronger. Take care of each other. Make it a great weekend.